What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another impromptu night live, man. Doesn't that music just get you going? Does it? So uh, they did a good job at uh, yeah. Corona putting that it, together cool. for us. No, so welcome, 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 every, every, yeah, yeah, play it loud to get going. So Quakes, Jim, William Ragone, Pete F. What is going on? I know everybody is here to see the man, Steve Saka. I'm just waiting for him to come on. Tim Allen, Adam Wolf. Uh, Robert, Ed, so we got uh, uh, Jessica, Jessica, welcome, welcome, so we've got, uh, um, we got this Jessica, we got another Jessica, we got Diggins, uh, Diggins uh, all the way out in Texas, we've got uh, 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 Cigar Show Tim from uh, Dad Smoking Cigars, he's going to join us here uh, shortly, and let's see if that's, uh, let's see, nope, um, and then uh, we've got uh, Ron Real from uh, uh, Ron Real TV, He'll be joining us. He's from uh, uh, the Tennessee area. Tim's from out in California. Diggins is Texas. We're in Florida. Our man Steve Saka is um, in uh, New Hampshire. So we are. Uh, we have one hell of a herf going on tonight. <laughs> we are globe trotting. So uh, do yeah, have, we, just I want to know: Do you have empty nest syndrome this week? I mean, I've been working. Today was my first day off in like a week. So, but yeah, I miss my, my kids. I do. Cause yeah. I have like, you know, a routine with them. And so my routine's very, very, very messed up right now. Yeah. Not having them with me. And I was, I spent two hours trying to figure out their <laughs> online schooling to teach my mom who I don't really have to teach. I mean, she'll be fine, but it's like, it's just one big cluster. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot going on. So, and yeah, then yeah. why it just, he just doesn't, he just doesn't understand, you know, like he has no clue and his birthday is April 6th. And this is going to be the first time I've never celebrated a birthday with one of my kids. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, and he doesn't know, like, unless we tell him. So mm -hmm. nobody's saying yeah, if yeah. you mention his birth, that it's his birthday on that day. I will kill somebody. Oh man. Yeah. Cause we're going to yeah. pretend when this is all said and done and I can get my kids back. I'll yeah. do like, it's your birthday today. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll... Like six months later. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we got a, a very special guest uh, uh, that'll be joining us. And uh, he, here he is, uh, the man himself, uh, Steve Saka. What is going on, Steve? Hey, guys. How you doing? You, 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 uh, are you used to sitting at that spot? You've been at that spot for like a week and a half now. Yeah. Shit. No shit. You know, it's funny. My wife says I'm drinking a lot more because she's noticed the number of glasses that she's had to wash in the last week. So, yes. I. Uh, you need to start tricking her then, get some styrofoam cups. Yeah. 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 I, I tell you, I have smoked more cigars in these last two weeks than I have in a month. And, uh, and I yeah. smoke quite a, you know, it's, uh, it's sitting around. I mean, it, it's nothing sometimes go through two, three cigars during some of these uh, virtual hearths. So, but Steve, let me introduce you to uh, our co-host Diggins. Uh, hey, Brian Diggins, Diggins is, hey, uh, uh, he's, he's out in um, uh, uh, Brian College Station, Texas. And then I'm not yep. sure if you've, if you've ever been out that way. And, I grew uh, up in Texas. Oh, okay, my, dad, my family lives in Texas. My dad lives in deep east Texas. Okay. He lives up well, on okay. Toledo Bend Reservoir. Oh, All right. And, uh, uh, and I grew up just north of Houston, so... Yeah, well, that's where I am. It's just north of Houston. I'm in Bryan College Station. So. Right. Well, you're further north. I grew up in Humble. But oh, that yeah, was yeah, back, yeah. 
But that was back when Umble was just a dairy queen in a little podunk place 35 miles north of Houston. It's now yeah. it's now been completely swallowed. That term, podunk. Podunk. Kevin has never heard that before, and I say that all the time. He's like, I don't even think that's real. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. He had he had no clue that that was like a term people. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, uh, Steve, what are you smoking tonight? Brian or uh, Diggins? What are you smoking tonight? Go ahead. Go ahead, Diggins. (laughs) I'm smoking one of your cigars, Steve. The uh, Total Las Vegas. Ah, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm smoking the uh, Mickey Rita Blue, the original one. All right, and then uh, I, I've got the uh, uh, the Sober Mesa. Yeah, and I have the. And the she, Jessica is um, uh, smoking her very first brunette. I know. I, wow. I haven't had this one yet. I and I I didn't tell anything about it. I just gave it to her, and then uh, her first uh, she she was smoking. She goes, well, you know, this is pretty sweet. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I was I was surprised because. You know, I wasn't expecting it to have a little bit of a sweetness to it. So, so that that's like yeah. that's like the biggest thing in the industry right now. Whether Steve Saka artificially <laughs> sweetens the tip on that cigar? No, it definitely does not have that. Yeah, that after sticky. Yeah, I think I think that when you get something that's actually done with a sweet tip, a sweet cap on it, it's very distinct. You can tell. I mean, you smoke a host. You smoke yeah. a Baccarat, you smoke a Drew yeah. Estate Cuba Cuba. Right. It's distinctly a different kind of sensation than what you get out of a brulee. Yep, but absolutely. I'll, yeah. I agree. But, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave that debate up to other people. I, I ultimately don't care as long as they try it and the ones that like it keep buying it. Well, it's yeah. a good debate because, you know, someone that hasn't tried it, uh, the debate, they hear that debate and they go, well, gosh, I got to try it for myself just to see what I think about that sweetened tip. Is it yes? Is it no? Yeah, so hey, I mean, let's, let me put it this way. way Charlie Monado, who tastes potato chips and <laughs> yeah. all sorts of crazy stuff in cigars that I can't even hope to come up with, even he doesn't think it's sweet tip. Yeah, so you've got to have like one of the most uber sensitive palates that I've ever run across. And he's like, No, nah, this isn't sweet tip. Like, I, I, yeah. I, can't, I can't even imagine Charlie eating a regular meal. You know, just uh, you know, his his senses must be just overwhelming him. You know, just for, tighten you know, up into a ball and quiver. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Could you imagine? <laughs> overload, overload, yeah. overload. Could you imagine Charlie eat, <laughs> actually eating a birthday cake? He'd probably just freak. He just freak out. He would just. It's too much for him. He probably just eats gruel porridge every day for his meals. Here's the question, Jessica. Do you find the cigar boring? That's really the question because it's definitely my mildest cigar. Okay, I did say to Kevin, I said eh, this is pretty. This is a pretty light cigar. Oh, it's but way light. It's my lightest cigar yeah, by far. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's a it's a mild cigar, mild mild right. to medium, but very low on the medium part. Right, but I don't find it. I don't find it boring. It just probably not what I expected from the cigar. So now that I've like acclimated to what it's going to be like, it's a it's a right. good cigar, but I do like that sweetness. I you know I don't think it's that artificial sweetness, but it's there's just like a little nice tone in there. It, it's nice, but yeah, I don't find it boring. But I did say to Kevin before I said, "Wow, this is a really light cigar," and he just looked at me. I, I, I was wondering how she was going to um to 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 take that because she is a a super heavy you know yeah. old. High nicotine, you know, yeah. that's what that's what but gets I, her going. Well, I, I and brulee I, is definitely not none of those things. No, but it's definitely a nice, enjoyable cigar. Yeah, you know, and I think 
like I said to Kevin not long ago about like how certain meals we eat and stuff, that this is kind of like something that would be like a dessert cigar, I think. Yeah, you know, like if you ate a heavy meal, uh, you know, instead of having. Yeah, normally people go the other way though. The heavier the meal, yeah. the heavier cigar. But oddly yeah. enough, I actually, a lot of times I like to finish my day on one of those. It's almost kind of like, oh. a, you know, I know most people say get stronger throughout the day, but I smoke so many cigars, most of them being strong. Sometimes I like that last cigar of the day to be a little lighter, you know, right. just kind of ease me in, you know. And aperitif. Yeah, right. just, a, just a little bit more gentle, a little bit more subtle, a little bit smoother. So I actually mm -hmm. find myself smoking most of those as my last cigar of the day rather than my first cigar first. of the day. Yeah. See, and that's kind of how I would be. I would smoke a stronger cigar throughout the day and want to end with something light. Yeah. For, you, for yeah you. Well, well, for me, it, it all depends on how many I smoke in the day. If I've smoked. No, you if, can't start it, with a heavy it, cigar. No, I can't start with a heavy, <laughs> but uh, but if, if I smoke, if I have smoked four cigars that day, that fifth one is going to be something like the brulee. Okay. It's going to be a lighter cigar, yeah. you know, but if I've only smoked two for the day, I'll always end my day with, with a heavier, bolder mm -hmm. you know, cigar, you know, so. But that's just Steve. I mean, I think it's fair to say, and most people will probably agree with me. I don't think anything you make is boring. <laughs> yes. No. Oh no, I disagree with that. I think if you talk <laughs> to Coop, he would tell you I make some of the most <laughs> unexciting. Uh, what was what was he say? He said uh, I can't remember uninspired. exactly what he said. Uninspired or something like uncreative. Oh, or not creative. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, uh, well. so. Okay, one person in the world. Well, that, that's, com <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that's coming from Coop. I love Coop. That, 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 that is coming from monotone Coop. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's a got to take that one with a grain of salt. So, uh, you know, he's he, he, Coop, and, uh, and, and, and now I know why Coop and Craig, you know, are, are great friends. They're just, they're very similar, you know, as uh, characters. Yeah. I don't know. So, I just love Craig. Craig's the best. Yeah, well, he's the best. <laughs> Steve, before we jump into this and before we get these other guys uh, in, in the mix with us, I want to give you just a quick opportunity um, to speak on what Abe said the other day about the fact that you were um, one of his most annoying customers before you got into the industry. Oh, was that Abe or was that Dave Garofalo or both? No, that was uh, Abe. That was Abe. Oh, good. Yeah. It's nice to know. Um, I, 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 <laughs> well, I, I can sum it up pretty simply by a Dave Garofalo story. Because when I was on his podcast on Saturday, he just redid his office. It's really, you know, new floors, painted the walls. But he's basically been accumulating shit in there for like the last three decades. So they had to pull everything out of the office. And one of the things that he found while he was doing this massive clean and sort was a letter that I had written him back in like 1994. I had visited his shop in Boston, East Boston, his little tiny shop at the time. This is before Dave was important to anybody. <laughs> just a little tiny account. And um, I don't know. I went in there and I had things I wanted. I said, hey, you know what? You pick out five cigars that you think I'll like and I'll buy them. So he picked out five cigars. I then, like a week later, actually wrote him a letter with reviews of the five cigars that he gave me. <laughs> okay. And it's like a full page letter. And I'm like, Wow, how douchey is this, right? You're your cigar retailer. You recommend five cigars to a customer. Not only does he say, yeah, good, bad, nah, I didn't like no. I actually wrote the dude a letter with like descriptions of each one and what I thought of it. So yeah, yeah. Look, I've always been a bit of a pain in the ass to everybody. It's uh, it's part of who I am. I mean, it's uh 
It's what I do. So yeah, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs> so uh, I, I've, I've got something that Jessica and I need to talk with uh, Steve about for one second. Diggins, I'm going to pull you down for a second. And then uh, um, so because uh, Jessica and I have to get just one thing from uh, from Steve. So uh, Diggins, isn't this live? Isn't everyone seeing this? Yeah. Yes, well, I, everybody is seeing this, but you'll find why out. Why are you going to pull him down? Yeah. So all right. So. So I'm recording this, so I need you and then me and Jessica because I am going to use like the next two minutes in another video we're doing. Okay. So, oh, so we just smoked. Oh. We just smoked and reviewed the pulpetta. So okay. at, at one point during the video, I said, all right, I don't know anything about this cigar. Let's let Steve talk about it for a second. So at that point, that's when we're going to put this in. You don't have to divulge everything about it, but if you can just talk for a minute or two about mm -hmm. the pulpetta and, and what it is. Okay. Pulpetta. Hmm. I don't even know what to say about pulpetta. I mean, look, pulpetta, pulpetta is a... Pulpetta is a mixed-fill cigar. So it's comprised of some long filler leaf and comprised of some short leaf and all of the short filler that's in popetta is actually part of the table trimmings that come from making Mike Rita and Umbagog and one other product at the Noxa factory that they're making for me for release this year and so we take all those really high quality table trimmings and then we sort through them and then we thresh them and then we use them to construct the popetta. So a popetta is, for all practical purposes, if you were to tear one apart, you would find a long leaf wrapper, you find a long leaf binder, you'd find one long leaf that's being used as the base de seco. But the vast majority of the cigar is actually short fill up until you get to where the head is. Because in the head, what I end up doing is I end up using. Um, pieces of tobacco that are about an inch long in the head. So that way it prevents any of those loose bits of tobacco ever getting into your mouth when you're smoking it. Um, okay. So essentially it's basically on a very elaborate mixed fill cigar, but it's done in a way where uh, we're using a few techniques that make it uh, – very well constructed. In fact, I don't think if I ever told anybody it was a mixed fill cigar, they would ever know it. And it's I, very similar to, and it's very similar to what I did when I was at Drew Estate, and I launched the idea of Papas Fritas. So Popeta is essentially Papas Fritas, uh, but I think I've actually, as a result of what I learned from that experience, and then also a couple things that I learned at Hoya, and another thing that I learned from Raul this is kind of distillation of those three things. And I actually think the construction on Popetta is better than what I was doing when I was at Drew Estate on Papas Fritas. Now, I don't know what they do currently on Papas Fritas. I'm sure they've probably modified their technique over the years and it's improved also. But I can definitely say that Popettas are, they're amazingly well constructed. I don't, I don't know if it was you, Jessica, or somebody, but I know someone posted a picture of them holding it by the ash. Yeah, that was, was Jessica. Me. I mean, and that's that's a short fill cigar that you're holding by the ash. I know yeah. it was such it was such a great cigar. It was so well constructed. I kept saying, I said my only complaint was I wish it was just a little bit bigger. That was that was my only thing that I was like, I just want a little bit more. And let me tell you this, here here lies the question. 
I've actually never made, that was the largest one I had ever made using those techniques because that was a 48 ring gauge cigar. Mm. I don't know whether I can make it larger, but it's actually been on my to-do list for both of the last two trips to Nicaragua, which regretfully both have been canceled. But I also am curious, seeing how well these are doing from a construction point of view, can I do a five-inch cigar? Can I do a six by 52? I mean, what is the limit of that construction technique? Can you get away with it? Yeah. I thought that going to 48 ring gauge was kind of pushing the barrier, but I'm stunned at how well once they're aged and they're wicked out of coming out of the cool room. Yeah. I mean, they smoke phenomenally and the, and the blend in them is fantastic. It's a really strong, it's got a good pepper bite to it. It's real earthy. It's uh if you like Mike Rita, you like Tricky Traca, you like Todos Las Dias, it's going to definitely be in your wheelhouse from that perspective. Yeah, so, I, I absolutely agree. That was a fantastic cigar. Cool. It really was, but that was the one thing I said. I said, I can't believe how well constructed it is. I mean, I think I had like a little vein and it still burned like perfectly down that yeah. vein. It was right. awesome. So right on. So that was a good, that was a good segue. So let's bring everybody back on. Let's bring our, our co-host Diggins. We've got, um, we got, uh, I don't know if you know this guy, uh, this guy, uh, Ron, uh, Ron McCoy from Ron Real TV. And then we've got, um, uh, where'd he go? Oh, down there now. Cigar show Tim. Oh, this from, this uh, shit has to stop. <laughs> we all have to go back to work. <laughs> Everybody living on these monitors is going to crush us. All of our brains are going to turn to mush. I have had yeah. I've had over a dozen podcast requests in the last week, and and since Friday, this is the part that's really creeping me out. I've had about a dozen people that I haven't talked to or thought about in over thirty years reach out and contact me. People from high school, people from when I was in the Navy. Everybody's got too much time on their hands, don't know what to do with it. So they're all going to search out everybody that they had any sort of interaction with their entire lives. It's driving me crazy right now. It's, it's oh, got to stop. It, 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 will, it will hear probably in the next month, and then we'll be pining for these days where we all got together. So um, so I, I've got, I know everybody's got some questions. I asked everybody to get some questions. But um, going through some old interviews, just um, trying to find some questions that, that a lot of people don't ask. And uh, there's a, a few people that have asked me. One, actually, quite a few. The one question we want to start off with: How did how did you get the name Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust? So we'll start off with a with a softball. All right. Well, it's it's really simple. Yeah. I live in a town called Dunbarton, so the company's named after the town I live in, and I wanted the name to have kind of a classy sound to it. So the name of the company was just going to be Dunbarton Tobacco. Sounds like a classy name. Simple. Sounds like it's been around for a while. And the and trust part kind of got added at the end because when I was initially starting the company, I was trying to buy an old bank building that I thought I was going to be able to buy to put the company in. Um, so we incorporated the num name with the and trust, uh, but it ultimately ended up that I couldn't buy the building because the person that owned it's fucking insane. <laughs> wanted, you know, way more than what it was worth, but the company was already incorporated. So now I've got this name Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. And um, and uh, honestly, in hindsight, I don't know that it was a good name. It's kind of a little bit long and it doesn't fit on a hat. And it doesn't fit on a t-shirt. It's a, 
Yeah, well, that's what the abbreviations are for, though. You got DTT, so there you yeah. Go. And and the logo yeah. is great, though. The way you incorporated the DTT yeah. in the logo, it it works and it makes and it makes sense. Yeah, but I yeah. don't. I, I know talking to retailers, they're just telling me their customers <laughs> come in and say, "Do you have Saka cigars?" Oh yeah, yeah. Right. So you know, if you're talking about from a sheer marketing point of view, it probably would have been a lot smarter just to call the company Saka and Saka or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So right on. So who's going to be the first? Who's I've, I've got a whole list here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to let. Yeah, I've got I've got a few questions, but uh, yeah, go, go ahead, guys. It, no. All right. So I, I'll start. The whole Steve, the whole dog, dog rocket thing. Yeah. So I know, like you didn't invent the term dog rocket, but you were like credited with being the first person that used the term dog rocket. So what's the yeah. story behind it? Yeah, I think I might have been the first one to use it online. Um, in a Usenet news group. You know what's so funny about it is it's not just the term dog rocket. I see a lot of things that are said today that are things that me and a few of my friends were writing back in the early 90s, and they have just seeped into the common cigar culture, like the word herf. Yeah. That was the word that came out of that. The term dog rocket, actually, the first time I heard it myself was I was enlisted in the Navy, and on my boat, there was a senior chief that was a huge cigar smoker, and he uh, he smoked pretty much really crappy cigars. But um, anyhow, we used to get together many of the evenings when we were at sea back on the fantail, and there was like a group of us that would smoke cigars. And uh, because he was so well known as a cigar smoker, he was kind of like the ship's proverbial cigar expert. Okay. So we had this one ensign that had come from the academy. And he was one of those, you know, you get people out of the academy that are really smart and really good. And then you get the ones that are really smart and really annoying. And he was one of the really smart, really annoying guys. And uh, so nobody really liked him that much. And he came back to the fantail one day with a box of cigars. And he wanted to say, hey, senior chief, you know, I'm engaged to so-and-so and her father's a big cigar smoker. So when we were in France, I ended up picking up this box of cigars and I want to give it to him, but I don't know anything about cigars. And, you know, what do you think of these? And seniors like, hey, I, I don't really know. I got to smoke one to tell. Is it okay if I smoke one? And the answer was kind of like, yeah, I'd rather have one missing and tell him it was a really good box of cigars and give him a bad box of cigars. So senior ends up lighting one of those cigars and he just does one of these things like, oh, this is like one of the worst fucking dog rockets I've ever had. And he just throws it over the back of the boat. And you could tell this ensign was like really crestfallen. <laughs> he was upset. He's like, oh man, I paid a lot of money for those, blah, blah, blah. And Cedar's like, oh, calm down, man. I'll take care of you. You know, we're gonna be going to we're going to Spain next. I'll take you to a store. We'll get your father-in-law a box of cigars, blah, blah, blah. And uh Ensign was like, Oh yeah, that'll be great. And he goes, Well, what do we do with these? And Senior's like, honestly, they're not worth anything. I throw them away. You really got taken advantage of it. Senior's like, well, and he says, here, Senior, just get rid of these for me. So the ensign walks away, and Senior goes, hey, boys, you want to have your first Cuban cigar? Here's a Diplomatico number two. <laughs> it was a perfectly great <laughs> box of Cuban cigars is what it actually was. And was it your first cigar, too? That was, that was the very first time I had heard the term dog rocket. <laughs> uh, now, now, was that your very first Cuban cigar at that point? Um, Yeah, actually, that would have been my very first Cuban cigar, now that I think about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll wait. Yeah. Great, great story. Uh, Tim. Diggins? So, so I got a question. 
everybody sees the Saka Squatch. Everybody sees, you know, they see it and they know, oh, that, you know, that, that represents Steve. When are you going to come out with a cigar that's called the Saka Squatch? I've already made a cigar called Saka Squatch and imported it just okay. so I could hit the FDA legal requirements. But I'm reluctant to do it because we don't know where this FDA regulation is going to go. And you won't be allowed to make swag items that are branded the same as any tobacco product that's in the marketplace. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Right. That's like okay. so, right. So by, by having it's the same reason why I don't actually have a brand registered that's a Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust brand mm -hmm. okay, of cigars because I'm trying to thread that needle not knowing exactly what the advertising and swag rules will ultimately be. But in their current distillation, if I were to make a Saka Squatch cigar, I wouldn't be allowed to have a Saka Squatch statue. So could you call it the Squatchy? Look, you can get into all those things, obviously, <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, it's just easier not to make the cigar because I've already got sure. the statue and the molds made for the statue. So yep. yeah. Very cool. Kevin did mention to me that you might not be making your Sasquatches anymore. Yeah, um, I, I had heard you said something. Um, I don't know if I misheard that or mis misread that, that this next batch was going to be your last batch or? No, here's the deal. So this last batch that I literally just got in, they took over six months because of the the coronavirus. You know, the, the impact that it had on China wasn't just in Wuhan. And mm -hmm. it really shut a lot down in the country. So this last batch took over six months to get. And at this point, I'm waiting actually right now to hear word back if I'm to place another order, how long it'll take. So this may be the last of them that I have for 2020. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. What I was saying. Mm. But I don't honestly know for sure. And I can tell you, um, a lot of retailers took advantage of that offer, but I still think I have a couple hundred left. Okay. I had set aside. I had set aside like fifty or seventy of them for me, and then I had set aside another hundred for other promised events, and then five hundred for that deal. And I think only about four hundred of them actually went out on the deal. So I mm. still should have some. And who knows when the hell we're going to start doing events again? I mean, I have every every event that I had on the calendar has been canceled for the yep until I think the first event that's still on my calendar is in June. And they even have asterisks next to them at this point. But everything I had for yep. March, April, May has all been canceled. Oh wow! And Steve, yep, it's kind of funny how um, how everything work is working out too. Because like one of my sponsors, I was actually looking on their post the other day, uh, Black Line Luxuries, and they were talking about you know buying cigars, and they would include a uh, soccer squash. And you commented, on it, and now. I'm on a show talking to you today. So yeah. like, the world is so damn small. Yeah. Very small. Yeah. It is. Like I said, I don't know if you heard this part, but I've, I've had three ex-girlfriends contact me in the last week, too. Oh, God. So I, I, I need this coronavirus to end, and I need it to end now. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be over. I, yeah. everybody, needs some reunions. everybody needs to go back to their real lives again. I, yeah. yeah. There are some reunions that don't need to happen. Yeah. yeah. What's crazy is that Kevin and I are for a reason. still working every single day yeah, that through all of this craziness because yep. apparently we're essential. Yes, yes, yes. For, I'm for right there with you. you know, I'm, we were closed down on Friday, but I applied for a waiver, and I actually heard back from the governor's office, one of their staff members today, saying that they haven't ruled on my waiver, but 
they felt as though they were probably going to grant it. And they weren't going to grant it because cigars are essential. They're going to grant it because I'm just saying, what the hell? How's the liquor store open and they deal with the public? And how is the, you know, the the pizza place that's right next to me and he's dealing with the public. I mean, he's got, he's got, he's got 180 people going in and out his door every day. And I literally, Mm -hmm. our office, it has contact basically with the UPS freight driver twice a (laughs) month when he drops off the pallets of cigars and the UPS domestic driver who comes at the end of the day and picks up cigars. We have no interaction with anybody whatsoever. Right. I know. And all of home. Yeah. I have a piece of paper now that I carry in case like I get questioned that says I officially am allowed to be out in public. Yeah. Well, I understand like in certain places they're stopping people like around the Metro New York city area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're actually pulling people over. Um, we're not to this that level in New Hampshire at all. I think I think we were at like 130 cases and maybe three or four deaths at this point. So yeah. it's a much, much different scenario here yeah. than for a lot of the rest of the country. Yeah. Yeah. California's pretty bad Texas here. We're trying uh, to be a little more we're growing. Sorry yeah. about that, Diggins. Yeah, no, yeah. California's got quite a bit. Texas, yeah. So I'm being a little more proactive here than in other places. So like here in my county, for example, we've got 30 cases here in Brazos County. Um, And actually one of them, somebody I know, but the uh, just today said until April 19th shelter in place order. And uh, they are starting to pull people over to check uh, their work credentials. So Mm -hmm. they're more proactive. So we don't get that New York size right and yeah. here and here in memphis people are retarded too like so the mayor like he had to literally make another ordinance because people were on riverside park the park next to the mississippi river like this past sunday they were just hanging out like there was nothing going on like there was yeah. hundreds of people out there and i was just looking at the pictures on facebook like what is wrong with you know being a firefighter oh, yeah. i'm like what is wrong with you people man yeah like oh, just yeah, stay at dumb. home yeah, we had to close our beaches here in California. Because see, in New Hampshire, party. we just are generally antisocial to begin with. Yeah, so we were like kind of built for this. I'm you a know I mean? we, we, so, This is this isn't as big a hit from the social point of view. Oh, it's Lee Mac. Oh, hey. Lee Mac nine twelve. Oh, hey, Lee Mac nine twelve. Good God, you look old, man. <laughs> you got the gray going and the whole nine yards. Yeah, look who's talking, Steve. Yeah, but I always look this way. You, man, I remember you a young man. What's going on, man? Oh, man, I, it's time for my spring shave. <laughs> well, well uh, 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 Steve, Steve was a young man at one time, too. Uh, you know, if we can see him. Right oh, he had the, uh, the, 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 full, the full beard there and everything. He never did have hair, though. That was no, no. Time. I uh, I started balding at the age of 19. Oh, okay. Whoa. I started balding really young and pretty much pretty early on. I mean, that was one of the rare times where I was actually growing the Friar Tuck fringe thing going on. <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, that comes out of laziness is where it comes out of. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I pretty much have been shaving my head like this for – for the last 20 years, pretty much all the time, but even 10 years earlier than that, I was doing it. The problem was back then, right now, it's a very common style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Back then, you were either you were either a white nationalist, okay, that was just coming <laughs> yeah. out of prison, or, yeah. you, or you were a biker. I mean, that was it. You were a biker or a con, or you were both. 
those are the only people yeah. that shave their heads uh unless you were a cancer survivor and uh so right you know, I used to get a lot of really dirty looks you know at least That's you it. made it through high school yeah i made it through high school but <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fact that you have three ex-girlfriends still contacting you, say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't even want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say that they say that early hair loss is a sign of high levels of testosterone. So that's, that's what they claim. I don't three girlfriends trying to get a hold of you. you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hey, so uh, hey, Steve, I got a question for you, man. You know, uh, everybody knows you as Steve Saka from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, the cigar guy. Right. But I don't think many people know that you smoke pipe as well. Yeah. How often do you smoke a pipe as um, opposed to cigar? So for me, pipes are a seasonal thing. Um, I don't tend to pull out the pipe until it starts to get to be uh, fireplace weather here in New Hampshire. So sometime towards the end of October, November, I'll pull out the pipe and I will I will start smoking the pipe November, December, January, February, and then they kind of go away again. And even with the pipes, it's kind of infrequent. It might be two to four times a week. Um, look, I, I love pipes. No, I don't. I hate pipes. I like pipe tobacco. <laughs> yes, I, I'm with you 100%. Too much yeah. work. Too much work. I mean, it's just too much fiddling. And because for me, when I'm smoking the pipes, it isn't like I have one tobacco that I absolutely love. So you can kind of figure out what's the right way to pack it. Um, I'm always switching. And so depending on the moisture, depending on the cut, depending on the bowl I'm packing it into, it makes a really yeah. big difference. So I struggle with A, either keeping it lit or B, with severe tongue bite. So <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I have, to be, in your mouth. I have to be really careful with the pipes. Now, to circumvent that, um, and I may mention this yesterday in a, a, a virtual herf. I actually make pipe tobacco cigars for me to smoke. Um, so I'll take some of my favorite pipe tobaccos and I'll add them to certain blends that I have. Oh, nice. And, and nice. I, and I have like, for example, McKellen's best of show. I know they're out of business now, but that's my favorite aromatic and it's kind of a softer aromatic. It isn't like super sweet or super sugary. It's just got a really nice texture to it. Um, I like British Woods. I like Frog Morton. I like a lot of the Cornell and, De Cornell and Deal tobaccos. And what I'll do is I'll add just a gram or two of those tobaccos to an existing black tobacco long filler cigar. And that way I can smoke it and I can get some of the characteristics of those tobaccos and yet not have to deal with all the nonsense of the tongue bite and the packing of the pipes. And honestly, if it wasn't for the FDA, I would have already released a brand of pipe tobacco cigars. Um, mm -hmm. And I would have done it basically four Toro sizes, six by 52. And I would have taken a specific tobacco in each one. And I would have showcased the fact that they are pipe tobacco. Well, that they're black tobacco cigars with a bit of pipe tobacco added to them. And I've actually been in conversations with the people at Cornell and Deal. And they're on board with the project, which would be even better. Because that way I would actually be able to feature their pipe tobacco as part of the product. And, uh, and I think it would be very interesting to consumers because you can make four basic ones, uh, some sort of, you know, aromatic, some sort of uh, oriental, some sort of British style uh, tobacco, and maybe some really heavy kind of burly kind of based one. And that would give you four very mm -hmm. distinct type kind of experiences. It would also give you the ability to every year launch one or two other 
pipe blends with different pipe tobaccos. And so I think as a cigar consumer, I think it would provide something rather interesting to the palate. Um, oh, look, there are pipe tobacco cigars in the market now, but they're all very sweet. Yeah. They're all, they're all the very super aromatic style pipe tobacco cigars where, where I, what I'm talking about is more like a seasoning to the cigar rather than, oh, this tastes like, you know, a, a sweet Jane, for example. Yeah. Now, now is sure. that, is that still possibly, you know, in the works or is that just, well, I'll tell you, it's all about the FDA is that flavored oh. tobacco or not flavored tobacco. Yeah. Will okay. it be allowed or not allowed? Um, you know, what, what counts or doesn't count. And I don't want to engage in it. Look, somebody's going to be, because I've said it out loud now, yeah. two days in a row, someone's going to steal this idea and they're going to beat me to the punch and it'll be what it'll be. But I, I'm not worried about that because I, I can do it better than I think they can do it. Um, but I just think as a cigar consumer, I think it's an interesting twist on something that we mm -hmm. all smoke. And the fact that I personally have been doing it for over 20 years for myself, I don't feel insecure about making such a product. Exactly. Just the same. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you smoke it and then everybody is going to buy anything that, that you produce. And then, and then I, try. I mean, it's, it's interesting to smoke Perique in a cigar. It's interesting to smoke Latakia mm -hmm. in a cigar. It's interesting to smoke a blended one like a frog Morton or a British woods in a cigar. I mean, you really, I think it makes it, it makes a way for, I think it would appeal to the pipe guys. And I also think it would appeal to the cigar guys. And if you're doing it with really high quality materials, it makes a very, very enjoyable smoke. Oh, yeah. That you said that, Steve, because, uh, you know, I fooled around a couple of years ago with rolling cigars. And that's exactly what I did was throw some of the pipe tobacco in there. And it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed smoking them. Yeah. I mean, the thing that you have to worry about is you have to be you have to be less heavy handed than you think you need to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the tendency is to put too much in there. And the problem is it then starts really screwing with the burn and the construction. Mm -hmm. So you need to find the balance of how much to use and how much not to use. And you also need to have a base blend in the cigar that is going to be complementary to work well with that tobacco. So if I were to do it it's not like I could make one core blend and that would work with the aromatic tobacco and this one would work with the English style blend. The two cigars would have to be cigars that were blended to be made to work with those individual types of pipe tobacco. I think it's a really interesting, fun project, one that I'd love to do, but I've been reluctant because, look, it's a lot of investment in time and a lot of expense. And I mean, as you see, I don't know what the federal government's going to do with flavor cigar bands, but Every day we see yeah. these individual localities, counties, cities, and eventually we're going to see states. And I think we have seen a couple states. I mean, more than a few states have it in their in various pending bills to just ban flavored tobacco products. So now, now Tim, you see that out in California, don't you? Because uh, you guys seems like all the time a different county is banning something, and it's usually the flavor, yeah. isn't it? Oh yeah, LA is notorious for that. Uh, evidently, LA likes to be, as does our mayor of California or governor of California, likes to be the first one to do it so that they can, you know, make a statement to everybody. And the stupid thing is, then we're the ones that pay the consequences for every dumb decision they make. <laughs> yeah, so it's a. Uh, um, uh, Steve, I got a question for you. Uh, Diggins and I, we're uh, we're super super stoked. I'm mean, one of our favorite cigars is the FSG, Jeff Borshowitz. Mm -hmm. Last time I, I had seen you, uh, we were rolling the uh, the Tabacieros, 
and you had said that Jeff had given you a, uh, some of the FSG tobacco to play around with. Did right, you? Ever, gave, did, you ever, did you ever play around with that? And, yeah, but I didn't have enough. So oh, okay. it really, didn't, it really didn't go anywhere. Um, I was just talking to him. Well, I was actually talking to him today, but this didn't come up. But I talked to him recently about maybe getting a a reasonable quantity so that I could play with it. And uh, look, Jeff loves FSG tobacco. Yes, he, he does. Has a, <laughs> a lot of customers that love yeah. FSG tobacco. I, I'm not as big a fan. And, <laughs> um, and so like my favorite of the FSG cigars is one that's made by Agrinosa. They make one, I think it's, and Jeff, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, if he even hears about this, but it comes with a white band, and I think it was like their 20th anniversary Corona or something. And I yeah. really, that FSG cigar for me is my favorite of all the ones I've tried. Exactly. So uh, that was Jessica's my, number number one cigar, cigar of last year. I like from Yeah. That's the one that I like yeah. too. And so I ultimately, I'd like to play around with it and see what I could come up with. You know, because the I, I look, you can pretty much take anything and make it into something workable. I mean, we see it all the time. We yeah. see chefs that convert stuff that really is really utter crap and they make it into something that's palatable. And I don't think FSG is crap, but it definitely has a very distinct flavor profile. And I, I, I think I could do something with it. So it's a project. I'd be interested in doing it. But ultimately you know that's that's up to jeff whether he has any interest in it or doesn't have any interest in it i have an interest in it i'd like to do it even if it's just i'll, a, I'll, I'll be uh, i'll be speaking with jeff on wednesday i have him and rocky patel on a, a special show so uh, i'll i'll bring i'll bring that up all right yeah hello man that's an old school ring that sounds like a rotary phone <laughs> yeah, i know doesn't yeah. it <laughs> but that's yeah, right now it just, it just reminds me of my grandma's house. Like she had the phone, they had the cord, they dragged all the way through the house. Oh yeah, and you're, you're dialing numbers and spinning and nine, yeah. two, three. I, I, I had that growing up. How how young are you guys? Yeah. I was going to say I had that growing up too. What that is is that's a fat man ring because yeah. whatever is, when I have it in my pocket. Almost every other sound my fat absorbs. So that ring is so annoying. That it actually, I could hear it in my pocket. You know? so, that's why. That, that's the one that works best. So the old-fashioned old ring is the one that works for the three hundred pounders. That's the best ring. That's funny. I have a I have an old man at my work whose phone is a flip phone still, but it says who's calling. Like yeah. Bob is calling. I'm like that's right. so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> Uh, so uh, so who who's who's got some questions? Lee Mac, uh, Ron Real, Tim. Go ahead, Lee. Oh, I was just enjoying the ambiance. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the problem. That's why we're all going to get very bored of this crap within the next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are just like there are dozens of these herfs going on in the oh, video everywhere. things everywhere. Uh, and the other thing, and I'll tell you what else sucks about this is. Every time someone makes a comment in one of those Facebook live videos, you get the notification because they tag oh, you. Yeah. So you end up just, I'm just trying to blow through my notifications 
and I'll click into it. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm in a video chat with hundreds of other people <laughs> and everybody else says, Oh, hi. And I'm like, I'm not really here. And I hang up <laughs> and then I scroll and 30 it. seconds later, I hit another notification. I'm back <laughs> in that same stupid chat room again. Oh God. <laughs> and you're so like, sorry. Uh, I'm old. I don't everyone, know. You know, you can't tell where the notification is coming from. You can't tell. Yeah. You just get so-and-so made a comment. Yep. So, yeah. so I have a question. I, I, I'll come up with a question. So, so Steve and I, I, I Steve, I met you a few years ago out at uh, Outlaw Cigar in Kansas City, and uh, I've said on different videos how impressed I was with you just as a person. And I will say that the thing but that impressed me the most. Suck. My cigar sucks. So add that. Oh to well, it. listen. But but I, but, I, but I told you that. Right? I'm, getting, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I I told you that. I'm and, getting there. And I'm Steve, getting there. And Steve was like, well, that's that's all right with me. You know, he's like, I, you know, I make what I like and not everybody is going to like what I what I make or whatever. So I always tell everybody, I, say, I always buy Steve soccer cigars because I support him. But the thing that impressed me the most was at the end of the night, you came up and you said something to me and you called me by my name. But you didn't say Lee Mack. You called me Leander. You said, you know, Leander, such and whatever it was. So it was like, you know, so you would not just blowing steam up my ass. You would just, you know, just being a nice guy. So I always thought that you were a pretty cool guy or whatever. And so, like, I've Thank always you. supported you. So everything new that comes out, I'm always buying the Steve soccer thing. So here's the question, right? So what is your opinion about people who don't like your cigars? Tell um, us about the people who don't like it. I don't it doesn't bother me people that don't like my cigars. I mean, what bothers me is like, I care that the construction be the way it's supposed to be, you know, draw burn. It bothers me if the consistency is wrong. It bothers me that, you know, if a consumer gets a cigar and it doesn't draw well, then he didn't get what he deserved and it didn't smoke right to begin with. But I expect people to, I don't expect everyone to like everything that I make. I don't even expect somebody to like anything I make. I mean, Cigars are very, very personal. And I think it just depends on what the criticism is like. So in other words, if it's just honest, good faith criticism, then I don't have an issue for it. Where, where, I, where it kind of bothers you is when it gets like really petty or malicious. And I see some people that do that. And I really don't understand that, you know, personally. But even in that case, I very it takes a lot for me to get my panties in a twist over it. Um, I just don't think there's any real upside to it. And and I understand that not everything is for everybody. It's yep. always going to be that way. And what I hope is that the cigars are good enough construction-wise that, you know, hey, you, I don't want someone to smoke one of mine and say, oh, my God, that was one of the worst cigars I've ever had, which then will turn them off from ever trying something else that they might really like. Because, I mean, you know, with Todos Las Dias, that's one end of the spectrum. Sober Mesa Brulee is the other end of the spectrum. I don't, right. I can't see a universe where the guy that loves Totos Las Dias is also going to be the guy that loves Brulee. Now there'll be some consumers that smoke across the spectrum that might enjoy them both. Yeah, but that's rare. So I pretty much expect, and it's the same thing like with Sin Compromiso. If you're into really strong, peppy style cigars, Sin Compromiso, you might find it a little boring. You know, the things that, you know, Sin Compromiso is based around is more about a creamier, smoother kind of experience, a more subtle smoke. In fact, I always tell people, if you buy a Sin Compromiso, don't smoke it outside if it's windy. You're just wasting it. 
you know, wafting away that aroma that encircles your head really kills the smoke. It's a cigar that's better to be enjoyed sitting in one place where it isn't windy, where an umbaga, you can smoke an umbaga in a windstorm and it tastes the way it's supposed to taste regardless. So I, I think that you have to, I think you just have to understand that people have personal likes and dislikes. And as long as they're not being petty or vindictive or assholes about it, then I'm, I'm perfectly great with it. And I have no problem saying, Look, I say this all the time about like skip cigars. I like a lot of skip cigars, but you know they tend to be more of a rustic nature. Is the style of cigar yeah. that the factory makes? You know, fuller in body, a little rougher, a little bit more biting, a little, you know, not as quite as nuanced. But that's my perception of it. Right. And oddly enough, in all the cigars Skips makes, the one I'm the most impressed personally by is the Intemperance BA. That's the cigar that I look at. And I go, wow, you know, that one I really like, and it's certainly not as best selling. And Arguably, I probably smoke more Crow Mags than I smoke the one that I think is actually the best cigar. <laughs> you know, same thing in Nicholas's line. And Nicholas, I think his Connecticut High Clear Castle was one of the best cigars he made. But it's certainly not the cigar that gets all the rave reviews from the online community. You know, it's mostly Tabernacle is the one that gets all the credit. And Tabernacle is a fine, fine cigar. Mm. But I find personally as a cigar maker, I'm more impressed with the High Clear Castle Connecticut personally. As right, a cigar, right. we, we got a question from uh, uh, Bob the cigar I, guy. I want to say one oh. thing. Congratulations, Bob, on your new granddaughter. Yeah, Bob's got yeah. a congrats, Bob. Congratulations. Congrats. That's awesome. But, so, Bob, Bob, you know you, you you can't mooch forever. You know there <laughs> is a there is a limit to my generosity. But I want you to know that yes, today there was another package pack for you to use for your contest. So there is something coming. So please stop sending me messages reminding me. I know. <laughs> so, on their way. so 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 Bob asked, what has been your most rewarding chapter in your journey up until now? That's a good question. Yeah, it's an impossible question to answer. Though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's been my most I'll tell you what my probably the most rewarding is every time I get bought out, man. I love those big checks. Those are really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well done. Wasn't it nice to deposit in your account? You're like, when you go to the bank with those six figure checks, seven figure checks, who am I kidding? Yeah, it's like, whoa. So, uh, so, so how, so how far, um, um, how long after you left, uh, DE then when they got bought out by Swisher? Cause you missed the big payday there. Or um, no, in the end, I think, look, I don't know the particulars, um, but, I think in the end, I actually think I did very well because the way the deal was structured, there was a lot of back-end money, and I don't know that the bulk of that came to fruition. So I think on a per-share basis, I actually think I may have been the highest paid. Oh, okay. So, nice. So, I, I have a question. So your wife, Cindy, smokes cigars? Yeah, she smokes cigars occasionally. I mean, in okay. a given week. She might smoke. I mean, look, obviously when we're at events, she smokes cigars, trade shows, she's smoking more cigars. Um, but in an average week, she probably, of her own free will and volition, maybe a couple or three cigars during the course of the week. And oddly enough, she tends to smoke on the heavier side too. I think um, okay. it, you'd have to ask her, but I think her favorite cigar that we currently make is the Mike Rita Gordita. Oh, okay. She really, really likes the Gordita a lot. And she likes the sober Mesa short Churchill a lot. So she actually tends to go towards the fuller bodied side of things too. 
okay. Yeah, I, I've got that gordita as my second cigar for the night. That, that's yeah. a great, a great cigar. What I like about the gordita is it doesn't smoke like a small cigar. The gordita just smokes like a Toro that's been hit with a shrink ray gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, 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 it gives you the same flavor profile. It gives you the same strength level. It burns and draws the way a larger cigar does. And surprisingly, the little gordita, even though it's 4 by 48 it lasts about 55, 60 minutes of legitimate oh, yeah. smoking. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty slow-burning cigar. But that's true with all of my cigars except one, I think. Well, two cigars burn quicker. Um, the first one that burns quicker is Sin Compromiso. It burns a little faster than my other cigars, and that's the byproduct of it being pressed. Mm. Um, because when you press a cigar, you have to slightly underfill it during the mm. bunching process in order for you to be able to press it. Right. Otherwise, the cigar will crack. Um, so that one, so Sin Compromisos don't tend to have quite as much weight of tobacco as the other in a comparable size. And the other one that I know smokes a bit quicker is the Sober Mesa Brulee. The Brulee tends to smoke a little bit faster than my other cigars. Not, not absurdly fast, but it isn't quite. A, most of my cigars tend to last 10, 15, 20 minutes longer than you would expect them to last. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, for me, Steve, the one that stuck out that I had, it was a while back. The Naka Tamale, I really, really enjoyed. Oh, hands down, my favorite. That was phenomenal. The nuttiness and everything that was in it was really good. But that leads me into a question. Is there are a lot of other boutique or uh, heritage lines where people like AJ are doing blends for them and things like that. Do you have plans? And I know you touched on it a little bit earlier. Do you have plans on going down that path or are people already hitting you up to do blends for them? Oh, as a people, no, no, people always have been asking me to do collaborations with them. I'm just, I just choose not to do them. Okay. And the reason why I choose not to do them is I do not believe that, I don't believe that two people that are doing a good job and they're given product line necessarily having them work together ends up making a better product okay and i also know for a fact that none of those collaboration projects have ever ultimately been commercially successful i can't i think about them over the last 20 years i can't think of a single one that ever sold much beyond the flash in the pan marketing boost that you get from it being a collaboration new uh yeah there's no, there's no brands on the shelf two three five ten years later that are those type of collaboration projects. And so you gotta go through the headache of working with some other dick wad, okay? And in the end, you're probably not gonna make something that's really better than what you each would have made independent of one another. And in the end, it's not gonna be commercially successful. So what's the point of doing it? And so I've always been, I, I, I think that, I think the reason why someone smokes a certain manufacturer cigars or a certain blender cigars is because they identify with that flavor profile. They identify with that style. There's a reason why they like it, mm -hmm. and I don't think that uh, I don't think that you're really doing your customers any service by getting them to buy something that you collaborated with another person, regardless of how skilled or good they are. Because I don't think either their I don't think their customers are being best served. I don't think your customers are being best served. But yet, because of the hype factor, they're being put in a position where they kind of have to buy it. Not that they have to, but they kind of get driven to buy it. Yep. And very rarely, very rarely are any of those really successful long term. Yeah. Yep. They're flashing the pan. They're there for six months, maybe, maybe longer than that, and they're gone. 
Right. I mean, if you're going to do it for like a charity or something, sure. then, then I might be on board with it. Because then you're saying, okay, this is a charitable project and, and that's what it is. But as an idea of something to make it as a, as a business, I, I have a hard time seeing the upside in it. Right on. We, we got a, we got a ke- uh, question from Kevin Corbelis. Uh, Steve, what size do you think brings out the best of your blends? I personally smoke the Brulee Toro and the Sin Compromiso Number no. 5 on a daily basis. I think it depends on the blend. So, like, for example, in the regular Sober Mesa, I think that the Cervantes Fino, which is a Lonsdale, and I think that the Elegante and Cedros are the two best executions of that blend. Um, in Mike Rita, I don't think it matters much. I think that Mike Rita smokes pretty consistently all the way through um, with two outliers. Uh, the Pequena Pequena, which is 4 by 44 is distinctly more peppery. So that one is a little bit of an outlier. So if you like a more peppery nature cigar, you would consider that one to be the best. And the Grand Buffalo, which is the only like real Gordo Gordo I make at 7 by 64 it's actually blended stronger than the other Mike Rita Blues. So that's not outlier. But within the regular Mike Rita line, um, I don't really see any difference. Um, in Todos Las Dias, it's the thick Lonsdale, the 6 oh, by 48 And then oddly enough, it's the double wide Bellicoso, in my opinion, that's the other one in that particular line that smokes really good. In Sin Compromiso, I personally like the Toro, the number five, and the double Corona, the number seven, um, that I think are the best. And actually the size, and it's one of the most popular sizes that I think is one of the worst ones in the line, is the <laughs> Intrepido. I, I think the five and five eighths by 46. Um, now that it's been in a box for a couple years and I'm smoking them aged, I'm not really, I wasn't really ever happy with the way the, that one in particular turned out. And in fact, I've actually tweaked that blend um, and I'm going to, I'm going to fix that one because it bothers me every time I smoke when it bugs me, which is something. So, but, uh, so I think it depends on each of the individual blends as to which one. Now, for the most part, most cigars are made um, initially in Toro sizes, 6 by 52 because that 52 ring gauge in the current marketplace has kind of become the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to, when we did blends, we used to make most of our test blends in a 46 ring gauge. Uh, five and five eighths by 46 was the classic size that we would use to do the initial blend. But over the last 20 years, that's really migrated where a six by 52, a six by 54 is kind of become the de facto size, which most blends are created on. And then, they are either just made into other sizes or then they're tweaked going into the different scales of sizes. Now, Steve, I want to ask you too. So like, um, I, I don't, or I mean, I guess most people know, or even, I, don't, I guess I can talk to you about it because you'll know for sure that apparently like there's the shortage of Connecticut broadleaf A and B, do you think that if there is a real shortage of Connecticut broadleaf, do you think that Pennsylvania broadleaf is going to be like the next big thing that everybody uses? All right. Well, there's always, look, Connecticut broadleaf has always been a problematic crop. Um, there's very few farmers that grow it. It's got a very limited growing season. Um, the weather is very, is incredibly variable because some summers in Connecticut and Massachusetts, you have really cold, rainy kind of summers, mild summers, and other summers you get dry, hot summers, and they have a dramatic impact on the crop. And there are very few people that have key positions in broadleaf. And the other problem that you have is the vast majority of broadleaf is sold through a company called Universal slash Lancaster Leaf. 
and they're buying it primarily for the mass market um, is what they're buying it for. And then they're sorting out the better quality stuff and selling it to the premium guys. So one of the reasons why I didn't run out of broadleaf was because I'm actually buying it at farm level on spec, buying them in green bales. So I'm not even buying the box fermented stuff that they normally sell to Universal or Lancaster. I'm just buying it as a raw farm bale. And as a result, um, I'm the one absorbing all the costs and risks of then, you know, fermenting those tobaccos and sorting them and getting the yields. But it lets me have a better control because I'm getting that tobacco two years ahead of the game by doing it that way. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, last year, like in Nicaragua, I think there were like three factories that stopped making broadleaf cigars last year. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't stop making them. I made way more. I made twice as many Miqueritas, twice as many Umbagogs, and I added Tricky Traca to the mess too. So I, I actually grew my broadleaf portfolio in one of the worst years. That being said, look, it's not limitless. I mean, you know, if the market, if I start, if I keep selling the way things, which obviously I'm not anymore, thanks to our friend, the coronavirus. Um, so I think I'm going to be really secure this year in Broadleaf. But uh, ultimately, there's, there's always a limit. Now, to answer the other question, I don't believe that Pennsylvania mm -hmm. seed leaf is a good replacement for Connecticut Broadleaf. Mm -hmm. It's just an entirely different tasting tobacco. Yes. Is it right. from the same basic genus? Yes. Are there some similarities? Yes. But there's also a lot of things about it that are dissimilar. Um, a, even the, just the structure and the texture of the leaf is entirely different. I mean, in fact, the term Pennsylvania broadleaf, I don't even know why people call it broadleaf because it isn't broad. It's actually one of the skinniest leaves in the marketplace. A typical wow. Pennsylvania seed leaf, it's like that wide. I mean, there's barely any room to take a tenderloin wrapper cut. And you certainly don't get second and third cuts out of Pennsylvania seed leaf. The other thing, too, with Pennsylvania seed leaf is it's really kind of a byproduct tobacco. Again, same company is being bought for other purposes. And you're just kind of skimming from that that by brokers are skimming out of there that eventually ends up being resold. It's also very veiny. Uh, it's almost impossible to make any sort of attractive cigar using a Pennsylvania wrapper on it because it is just overall a relatively ugly wrapper. Mm -hmm. And then for me, there's another issue that I personally don't like. Um, well, there's two issues I don't like about Pennsylvania seed leaf as a wrapper. One of them is just, it works very different on the table because the Pennsylvania seed leaf is very hydroscopic. So it absorbs way more moisture and it holds that moisture much longer than mm -hmm. almost any wrapper tobacco. So it's one of those things that makes it very difficult to take a pair that makes broadleaf cigars and say, okay, you as the Rolera, here's the seed leaf and I want you to work with it. It's really something that if you're going to get them to make seed leaf cigars, they really it's better to keep them making seed leaf cigars all the time because of the way the wrapper acts on the table. And then the final thing is a, a taste issue. Um, the Pennsylvania seed leaf, it's more peppery, it's more sharp, it's more biting, but I don't think it has that inherent sweetness that you get out of Pen out of Connecticut broadleaf. Now, again, that's a matter of personal perception. If you like that rougher, more biting style mm -hmm. and you're more into the pepper than into the sweet, then you may actually find Pennsylvania seed leaf slash broadleaf to be a more appealing tobacco. But for me, it isn't. And now I use Pennsylvania seed leaf as a, as a tripa. 
Um, it makes for sometimes an excellent filler because it is kind of a punchier, rougher tobacco. Right. And then I don't have to worry about the aesthetics. And I also don't have to worry about it being uber wet. It can be wet just enough to be made into the bunch without it causing problems the same way as it does when you're using it as a wrapper on the table. But can you make really good cigars out of Pennsylvania seed leaf? You absolutely can. Um, but you have to build around it. So you will see a lot of people use it because it's very readily. Currently, it's for the last few years, it's been very available. Mm -hmm. And the price on it's very good. I mean, it costs significantly less. You can, you can use a top shelf Pennsylvania seed leaf wrapper and it costs you roughly 60 to 65% less than a Connecticut broadleaf wrap cigar. Wow. Wow. Wrapper. Yeah. Um, we got another question here from David Hansbury. Um, with everyone in the industry hot on the Mexican San Andreas wrapper, and I have a follow up to this. Yeah. Uh, you, you have not gone there. Thoughts on the wrapper. Now, oh. is, is the Mexican San Andreas something that is new, or is that something that we've been using for? 10 or 15 years, but now no, no, first off, Mexican San Andreas is one of the original five base Criollos. So, I mean, there's, you know, you have, you have your Brazilian family, you have your San Andreas families, you have your Habanesis families, which are the Cuban tobaccos. You have your Indonesian Java families, and then you have the broadleaf from the United States. So San Andreas tobacco has been around for m millennia. Okay as a cultivated crop. So it's not something new or Johnny come lately. And it's certainly nothing new that's in our marketplace. The thing is many of the manufacturers that had used it in the past, first off, this shows you how things change so dramatically. I was probably the very first guy ever to start calling it San Andreas Negro. Everybody before me would always refer to it as Mexican. And I was like, why you call it Mexican? Because consumers have a perceived, they think of it differently just by the term. When you say anything yes. is Mexican, it's either you know they think of they think of drug cartels, they think of Tijuana, they think of you know diarrhea, they think of or they <laughs> think of tequila, bad spring break experiences. There's very few Mexican products other than high end tequila and you know Corona beer that gets a lot of love. You know now obviously as we become more culturally sensitive that's changed over like the last 10 to 15 years. But honestly, just saying anything was Mexican was just bad. So what ended up happening was a lot of manufacturers would use it, but they would claim it was something else. They would claim it was broadleaf. They would claim it was, you know, Honduran. They would claim it's Nicaraguan. But San Andreas Negro has always steadily been in the marketplace for a very long time. Now, as far as my not going there, that isn't true. Sin Compromiso is a is a variation of mexican san andreas negro so i do use it on some compromiso okay. I mean, it's, just, it's a it's slightly hybridized seed um it's grown by one particular farmer that i use and we do a slightly different cultivation technique with it um to make some compromiso but it's definitely a, a mexican san andreas negro Oh, that's actually really interesting. And and the fact that you're like, it makes you wonder what some of these other manufacturers like do to like get their cigar out there, but it's not, it's not really what it is. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. But I think you would find that to be the case on a lot of the products you guys smoke. You have to understand there's a, there's a big separation between what actually happens at the factory level and what happens in the sales and marketing you know, rooms here in the United States. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, honestly, can you guys really tell the difference? I mean, yeah, you look at a Connecticut Shade cigar, you can tell it's shade, but can you tell whether this is really a Connecticut, Connecticut versus an Ecuador, Connecticut? Can you tell whether it's a tobacco that was grown by the Perez family versus the Oliva family? I mean, these are details that are, I mean, somebody tells you this tobacco is a media tiempo tobacco, where you like really in the field to see them do the primings, you know that those leaves were actually on the plant one and a half times longer than would be typically, you know what I mean? You don't know these things, but these are things that, you know, they're always looking for a way to describe something yeah. to make it appealing, hoping to get you to try it. But in the end, you're going to judge the cigar for what it is. If you're judging it based on what the sales pitch is, uh it's really the sales pitch doesn't always match up with the reality and in defense of the sales guys a lot of times they don't know i mean look these guys are told what they're told and they go out with their marching orders and they they spread the gospel the way it was told to them and they don't know either you just assume they know because you think they know more than you but the reality is anybody is an expert as long as they know a little bit more than what you know they're an expert that's <laughs> <laughs> just the way it is and yeah. so i think it's really important sometimes to set aside the comments and perceptions of other people and just smoke it in your own personal bubble and decide whether you like it or you don't like it and is it really relevant as to whether this is a san andreas negro rapper or whether this is a Nicaraguan wrapper. Does that really actually matter? What really matters is, do you like the cigar? Do you enjoy the experience? Does it give you this? But yeah, to take those to take those disclosures as gospel is a, right. is, is well, a mistake. That's what I always say. Kevin does like this ton of research or he'll like say something. I'm like, I don't want to know anything. I don't care. I just want to like, I just want to smoke the cigar and make my own decision if I like it or not. And the other thing too is you know something sometimes gets said once or twice and it gets parroted and it yeah. just kind of becomes de facto a gospel even though it's just completely not true and and there's yeah. a lot of things that we know collectively that aren't true but you can't start calling those things out because you know you start pointing those things out then what you're just doing that to make the other guy look like he's a liar you're right. doing that to what hurt the credibility of his brand and to a degree, we all live in glass houses on this or that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is, there is no ultimate saint. I can tell you that. I'm, I'm in a business of liars and thieves. That's the business <laughs> that I'm in. So, I mean, and you have to understand that we're all selling something that essentially is brown and round and weeds that are rolled up in a tube. So, you're trying to find some reason to motivate the consumer yeah. to try something. And then all of this plethora of media it compounds the issue because you guys are looking for a way to spend hours and hours to write and to talk about something that literally 30 years ago, the average cigar consumer would ask three questions. Is it big? Is it small? Is it light? Is it dark? Is it mild? Or is it strong? And that literally covered like 98% of the questions that I would get asked by a consumer about a cigar. And I'm in a, I'm in a totally different world now. I know, but I'm that person. That's yeah. all I ask. Those are like my basic questions. And Kevin just looks at me like nothing else. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, but you can't have a nine and a half hour video, Herf. Yeah. If that, if that's a conversation, you know. Exactly. Uh, Bob, Bob Finley. And, and let me say this. Oddly enough, as much as I'm saying to you, you get a lot of disinformation. 
consumers today get way, way more legitimate information yeah. than they've ever gotten at any time in history. And that's just because of the democratization of information through mediums like this that allow you to talk to people that you wouldn't otherwise get to talk to. Right. Exactly. Uh, Bob the Cigar Guy, uh, what do you think about Nicaragua doing test shade tobacco crops? I think it's smart. Why wouldn't you try to do all sorts of tests? I'm sure that's not the answer. He wants to know my opinion of tobacco. I'm assuming that's the question Let him type it again and get it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You're> on. <laughs> uh. hey, hey, listen, I just wanted to jump in here. So you, you see me jump out of the picture a couple of times. Got a cake in the oven, and I got to get my <laughs> cake out the oven. I don't want my Ooh, cake. What kind? So I yeah, think it's just to, about ready. I'll be right back. We're all hungry and ready to eat, Lee Mac. Let's, yeah, let's do gonna it. Have, we're going to have virtual slices. I'll pass <laughs> it to you. Yeah, virtual stuff sucks. Yeah. <laughs> virtual cake is worse than virtual sex. <laughs> Steve, I have a question, too. Like, for me, so, like, one of the, one of the reasons why I even started my channel were <laughs> Because and you'll be able to answer. I know you'll be able to answer this question as honest as possible too. Because so, I started the channel to. <laughs> no, I started it because I wanted to try to get in the cigar industry without becoming a sales rep, with the ultimate goal of becoming a blender or one day being like you owning my own company. That's how I got my start. I got my start just being a cigar smoker geek. So yeah. But I, so I will just ask, like, I guess what will be I mean, I'm sure there might be some other people in the chat too. like what would be the best option for or what would, if, if you were just starting today, and your goal was to become a here's, here's, here's the problem. This is a really delicate subject because you don't want to discourage people from getting in the business. Of course, because when you do that, you're basically it almost seems like you're being a protectionist. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You just don't want the competition. Right. The thing I would always say to people, they need to understand the the actual business is not what you see at the face of it is not the reality of it. Right. It's actually a very difficult business to make money in. It's a very grinded out. It's an awful long time. And most of the people that are in it are making far less money than you would perceive. And most of the people that get into the business, they typically ultimately fail. And, you know, I think one of the best examples is just the boom years. We had over 2,000 new cigar companies between 1993 and 1997. Wow. And of those 2,000 companies, only about 25 of those individuals are still standing 20-odd years later. Um, the success rate is very low. And you see a lot of these brands that are released and launched, and they get a lot of internet love, and but they don't actually end up selling all that well. And most of these brands and companies, they go out of business without anyone ever realizing that A, they were in business, that B, they went out of business. Um, so it's one of those things that if you're looking at it as a way to get rich quick, it's a really, really bad plan. Right. Is it possible for you to be successful? It is possible for you to be successful but it's going to take a lot more work than most people realize now under the normal scenario you could actually get into the business relatively easily because you could just simply make some graphics make a brand come up with a marketing concept there's plenty of factories that make cigars and they would be happy to make cigars on your behalf for you to put in boxes and to sell um the problem is it's not just about having a good box or even having a good brand 
you know, there's a lot more to it when it comes to distribution, when it comes to the sales side, when it comes to the marketing side, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult than you would realize, but it's still possible except right now with the current FDA scenario, it's hard. I, I, I would be very hard. I think right now until this FDA thing is shaken out, I don't think I would try to get into this business. I mean, you know, in my own case, so the May 12th deadline's coming, deadline's coming for substantial equivalency. I have to do the initial applications and my submittal cost on that's gonna be somewhere between 65 and $80,000. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, I can tell you right now, $85,000 is probably equal to the net profit my company made last year in its fourth year in business. Um, yeah. So uh, it's just, I just think it's just a, I don't think this would be the time. I would wait. And the other thing that's really bad about right now is the manufacturers for the last couple, well, really started about three years ago, but it kind of hit the wall last year. They had so overmade product. They were so flooding the marketplace with so many cigars that the prices started cratering on them last year. And the bigger companies were having to sell product to the big box guys for 20 and 30 and 40% off to just move volume. And it got to the point where those companies that were buying those cigars at those deep discounts got to the point where they just said, uncle, enough is enough. We've bought so much from you. We have so much inventory that we can't buy anything at all. And you see that right now. There's a few brands that are holding their price point, but there's a lot of brands that aren't in a flash sale 30% off, but are in an everyday 40 to 50% off kind of price model. And there's really no way to ever come back. Now, I'm sure over the next 60 days, we're going to see some really significant discounting on almost everything because mm -hmm. retailers are just trying to stay alive. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Right. Because their situation is so dire given the current circumstances, and they're just trying to cash recover. But there are definitely brands that you see in the marketplace that are retaining their value, and there's ones that don't. And so that's another uphill battle that you now have to basically go head-to-head -head I mean, Monte Cristo Whites were a $12 cigar four years ago. It's basically become a 3 to $4 cigar. Um, Oliva V's have pretty much become a 40 to 50% off all the time kind of brand at this point. Whereas two years ago, you'd have to wait for that email flash special that you could grab them. But right now, you want Oliva V's, you want Milanios, it's really, it's, you don't have to pay full price for them if you don't choose to pay full price. They're readily available. So you now have the combination of having to fight that inventory level and those prices coming down. And that's an area that you as a small person getting into the business, like myself, you can't compete on price. It's a place you can't win. They always have a price advantage over you. Their costs are always going to be lower than yours. And you don't have any advantage on sales and marketing because they have huge teams of people yeah. that that's what they do for a living. Um, so the only place that you can beat it out is a on the quality of the product and d on your on your hustle right you know I mean? yeah so, and it's it's a business that requires a tremendous amount of hustle so last year i slept at home 65 nights last year that's what i was going to ask what yeah, you're how, always out yeah how much do you sacrifice put yourself in to that versus like living like every day with your family like you're not you're oh, away. No. If I were going to get, if I were to get in the cigar business, honestly, I think the better approach is to be a retailer. 
Yeah. I actually think the re the thing, look, retailer, you're not going to, you will make more money as a retailer in the short term and you'll make more money as a retailer than you will almost always make as a brand owner unless the brand becomes super, super popular and you get to the point that you're selling $10 million or more a year because on my end of the business, the average net profit margin runs somewhere between five and 7%. Yeah. That's about what you're looking at as a net profit margin. And that's if everything is going perfect. So what you're talking about is you're talking about having to sell $10 million worth of cigars to make a half a million dollars to $700,000 in profit. Uh, Steve, and, what about the blending? What about becoming, or I know like the, the or uh, running a brand, but what about becoming a blender? Yeah, but blending is just a byproduct of experience. Okay. So the only way you're going to become a blender is to spend an awful lot of time down there. Gotcha. You know? And and it's one of those things that anybody can be a blender. It's just a matter of just time and experience and having the ability to talk to a lot of different people to learn their tips and techniques. And then also, as you start to understand what they're doing, you then start to come up with little things that you do yourself that make you slightly different. But that's not the way it is in that you know first 10 years. What you're really doing for the most part is you're copying something that you learned from somebody else. And then over time, you start to come up with little things that you say, oh, well, I like this. I like this technique. I like when I do a cigar using this tobacco, I like to backfill it this way, or I like to bunch it this way, or, you know, oh, I don't like to use, I only like to use so much of this tobacco because I know how it's going to affect the draw in the body of the cigar. So the other thing, too, is, you know, good blending is not just a matter of flavor and aroma strength. Um, it's also about picking materials that play well together in the cigar so that you get the draw and the combustion properties that you want in the cigar. So it's also understanding the mechanics of the tobacco and then how to put it together in the bunch so that they all work together in a harmonious way. I'll give you a perfect example. Camacho, uh, and they still make the cigar, but I remember when it originally came out, they made a cigar called Triple Maduro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maduro was a wonderfully tasting cigar. Right. The smoke, you had to literally light the thing 15, 18 times while you were trying to smoke it. So while the taste was great and I loved the flavor, I didn't like the fact that I had to light the damn cigar 15 times to right. Now, yeah. I haven't smoked any of them. I'm assuming they still make them um, yeah. because it's a popular thing. I'm sure they've worked that problem out. But I remember those first couple of years of Triple Maduro, great taste, but really not a great cigar. Yeah. So, it was really an unsmokable. It was a. It was not a pleasurable smoking experience. Right. So, so, so what are your thoughts, Steve? With everything that's going on with the coronavirus, some places that have halted production and manufacturing and harvesting and all those different things. What do you think is going to happen? Halted, in the time out. They haven't halted harvesting. You can't. Okay. Oh, okay. I mean, harvesting. Look, tobacco's in the field. They're they're harvesting all the tobacco. The barns are full operation. It. Pre-industry can't stop. Pre-industry has to happen. Mm -hmm. All that tobacco has to be sorted. You can't leave it just laying loose. It has to be sorted so it can be put into the bulks and the pylones. Mm -hmm. So that whole side of the business, it has still to going. continue to operate. There's no way it can't operate. What can cease right. operations is the actual manufacturing of the finished goods. What can right. cease operations is the packaging of those finished goods and the other things that, you know, are the in factory part, but the tobacco side of it, that all has to go on. So what do you think is going to happen in the next six months in terms of supply chain and different things of like that? You think it's going to be affected by all this or you think everything's going to become a little more uh, selective on what's available? 
I, I don't actually know what's going to happen because I can only talk about my circumstances. I don't know where other people are. For all I know, you know, a factory like STG has just tens of millions of cigars already finished and stacked up in the cool rooms that they haven't been able to sell anyone. But for them, it may feel like no interruption to you as a consumer. It'll only affect the people affect the people at the factory level. You think um, we're going to get young cigars in the next year, year and a half? Because I think they it's going to be the other way. Out. I think you're going to be getting cigars that probably have more age on them rather than less. Interesting. Age. Oh, I, can okay. tell you, I can tell you from my own example, and it shows you how you get your dick in advice in our business. So <laughs> last, year, last year as a company, we were nearly double in scale. So we had a really nice year. And last year was not a good year in the cigar business for the manufacturers. It was a good year for most retailers. Most retailers end up reporting increases somewhere between 5 to 10%. But on our end of the business, from us to the retailer, our sales across the board as an industry were down about 15 to 20%. And that was because of the glut of product that was in the marketplace and the depressed price points. But I wasn't experiencing that. And part of that's because I'm so small. I mean, my company doubles in size. I mean, if the year before I did a dollar, next year I do $2, I've got 100% growth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's a, so for me to grow so significantly is much easier scenario than it is for a large company. But we had a good year last year. We ended up nearly doubling in size. So I ended up buying a lot more tobacco last year in preparations for this year and the following year, looking at this growth pattern. And as a result, not only was I buying more tobacco, I also increased production on almost every single thing except for unicorns. Um, and so I had a lot more cigars being made late last summer and into the fall that we're going to be used going here into 2020 to actually go into boxes. Well, now, and this year started off where we were up 58% year to date, January and February. I mean, things were going swimmingly because yeah. January and February just normally regularly suck. And the fact that we were up 58 points, but then March came and we literally, we didn't sell $20,000 worth of product in the first half of March. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just a total bloodbath. Just now, died. Yeah, just completely died. And it's not that the sales died in the stores, because most of the retailers have been reporting pretty good sales, the ones that have been allowed to remain open. The guys that have the primary bar model, they've taken a real punishment. But yeah. the ones that were primarily a cigar model, they actually didn't. But even though their sales are good, they also say, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. This situation's messed up. I just want to keep my powder dry. And they just, they're not buying cigars to replace the cigars that they're currently selling because they don't know what the future is. And look, it, some of them made very good choices because a lot of them are now shut down by their governors in their state where yeah. they can't operate. Um, so we ended up having a bit of recovery towards the tail end of March, but I still finished March about 40% down from last March. And mm -hmm. honestly, I was thankful for it given the way it was looking at the beginning of the month. But I spent all that money last uh, July, August, September, October, November gearing up for March to be a certain number, gearing up for April to be a certain number, gearing up for May to be a certain number. And now I find myself awash in product that I've already paid for that I really wish I hadn't done. I mean, you can't predict this. Who could have ever predicted this? It's a completely unreasonable scenario. So I don't know, and like, like for example, the big online guys right now, they're doing really good numbers. In fact, a couple of them told me that March was their, one of their very best months ever. 
Um, and they are buying cigars, but they're only buying what they absolutely have to have. Mm -hmm. And they're buying it in smaller quantities. And if your brand is currently kind of quote unquote hot in the marketplace, they're willing to buy a large amount of it, but they're also using their position to say, well, we know everything's going terrible right now. So yeah, buy a couple hundred K, you know, give me 30% off, give me 40% off and I'll be happy to take a couple hundred K off your hands. So then it puts somebody like me in that position of having to make that decision. Now, so far the decision has been not to do that. Um, and but will that be my decision if this goes on for four months? Right. That's a that's a that's a very hard answer to say. I mean, you want to stick a flag in the ground based on principle, but mm -hmm. principle doesn't pay Yvonne's paycheck, doesn't pay Dave Lafferty's paycheck, you know, doesn't pay my rent, doesn't pay my uh, outstanding tobacco invoices. So it's it's very hard to know how this is going to turn out it really is yeah. the one thing i know in the short yeah. term if you have extra cash you can get really great deals on a lot of cigar brands right now because the retailers are really trying to just convert inventory into cash to protect themselves from the unknown exactly and, and you just had abe today and uh he was offering a a 30 discount on his entire website right and that is unheard. I mean, everybody does a ten percent. Sometimes they'll do a fifteen, but you yeah, never. You never it's, it's, it's not that Abe is doing it. Yeah. It's that it's a dozen of Abe's competitors that are in the same scale as he is that yeah. are all simultaneously doing it. Yeah, they've all got to stay alive. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. they're just they're just trying. You know, like Abe. Abe has um, between his stores, he has like thirty-five employees. Yeah. And, you know, none of them are really effectively working at this point, but yet he's got to pay their paychecks. And I mean, think about a guy at Jeff at Corona. I think Jeff has like 125 or 130 employees. I think Jeff's got a monthly labor nut of 300K. Well, Jeff has spoken out a lot because obviously we live in the same state. And, you know, he speaks even not just for him, but for all the local businesses that, are, you know, have been hurting during this time. Like, he's really been an advocate just for his community in general um but i can't imagine what that must feel like for probably though, it's just such a sensitive conversation because i mean you're having this discussion about the public health's best interest you're having a conversation about the economic impact and how that hurts people also and it is a real impact i mean it hurts everybody when people don't have jobs and they're not at work absolutely um, but, you know, then you're starting to say, well, are you equating money to equal life? And you end up in that philosophical debate about, well, how much is, you know, if we save one more life, is it worth shutting down the whole U.S. economy for? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. yeah. Right. And so, and at what level? I mean, okay, so if it isn't one life, is it 10 lives? Is it 1,000 lives? Is it 4,000 lives? I mean, and you got- you Where's got, the delineator? Where's the number? Yeah, when you and, cut it off. Right. And, and the other thing, too, is, and you've also got a political tinge to this, too. Because, you know, you've got the issue that we've had the last few years, you know, since the Trump presidency has begun, it just has felt like it's become all out war. And people have kind of gone to some people have gone to their political divides as to how they feel on that issue. Because honestly, when I listen to Andrew Cuomo, who's a Democrat governor of New York, and I listen to what Trump is saying. They're really basically kind of saying the exact same things with a few minor differences between them. But yet you look at certain news channels and on one channel, 
Trump is right and Cuomo's a, a a dick, and vice versa on the other channel. You know, Cuomo should be the next president, and Trump's a total moron. But if you actually look at what they're actually saying, they're pretty much saying the exact same things. <clears throat> Discrepancies here and there, but the general vibe of it's the same. So you also have this political perspective on all of this. So it's a really complex and difficult issue, and ultimately. I don't think it's going to matter until we get to the point that we start seeing the numbers trend down. And then the other thing, too, is I don't think the economy is going to roar back right away. I think mm -hmm. it's, going to be, it's going to take a little while. Definitely. Everybody yep. going to be willing to go and be in a stadium with 70,000 other people right away? Nope. Right. I, mean, how, right. I mean, are people going to – I mean, what? Indianapolis 500, 100,000 people go to that every year yeah. in the grandstands. So even if they schedule it for September, will 100,000 people really want to be in the grandstands? Right. I don't know whether they will or they won't. I mean, I can be quick to jump back to restaurants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think – I don't think postponed the Olympics. Yeah, they postponed the Olympics a year, and, and I work in the event industry full time. And, you know, it's, it's interesting and scary because a lot of the public event venues have furloughed or laid off tons of people. Yeah, the, the domino effect of how many of them are able to come back, obviously, I mean, millions of people are going to be looking for jobs, but are they going to even be able to staff events to have them? And then if they have them, are they going to even get their ROI to cover their cost, hoping right. people show up? I think one of the things for a lot of people that are employees that have never owned a business, they're under some misimpression that most business owners are rich. Right. And the reality yeah. is they're just hmm. not. Uh, I mean, a business requires cash flow in order to survive. Yep. And it's really an unusual business that can go much beyond four to eight weeks without revenue coming in that it can actually be sustainable in any way whatsoever. It's tough. It's, it's a tough scenario. And it's, it's just, it's a really, look, it's a very difficult situation. And look, we're making decisions now. Like I even saw Cuomo the other day saying, huh? You know what? Maybe closing down the New York public schools wasn't the best thing. I saw what that. We, what we ended up doing is we ended up taking kids who are like little petri dishes of disease, who are huge carriers of this, but are not being affected by it. And yeah. we now put them to where they're going to be cared for by their grandparents, right. who are very susceptible to the the worst parts of what COVID nineteen is, because their parents were still having to go to work. So you took all these kids who, yeah, were all these little petri dishes of disgustingness and whatever, which they always are. Oh, okay. And we put them with the the most susceptible per portion of our population, but we did it with good intent that yeah. we were trying to protect children when really what we might have done is we would have, right. might have made a lot of people more sick by doing that rather than leaving all these sick kids all together where they weren't being as impacted. Now, mm -hmm. that's speculation at this point. We, we won't know these answers. For another year, two years, three years. I mean, I was stunned, you know, since this began reading about H1N1. I didn't realize that 265 to 280 million of us in America caught that particular virus. Yeah. Okay. Over 80% of the American population has gotten the swine flu. I did. And, right. I had it. Yeah. And I was in the hospital for right. almost a week and a half with it. Right. But most of us didn't get diagnosed with it. Some nope. of us were asymptomatic and never knew that we had it. Yep. I had no idea that there were 17,000 deaths from the swine flu over that one-year period. I was surprised by it. 
Um, so mm. I think that, and you saw that interesting study come out of, was it Harvard or Yale? I think it was Yale University. They were talking about the herd immunity aspect of this, that the only way ultimately for the virus to eventually really peter through is for all of us to eventually actually get the virus get it. regretfully what has to happen. So what they're really trying to do now is they're just trying to make us not all get it at the same time right. because mm -hmm. it requires so much care at the hospital level for the people that are seriously impacted with it that they're trying to prevent the hospitals from being crushed. But let's not kid ourselves. We're all going to get this. That's the way this is going to go down eventually over the next three-year cycle. And that's the way it normally takes. It only takes about three years for these things to move through the system. Now, hopefully, some of these antivirals that they're working with will help to treat the symptoms. And so we can get the, the death percentage down. Hopefully, God willing, a year or two from now, we'll have a vaccine. So this will become less of an issue. But... Uh, I, I think I just think we're in a scenario where anyone that thinks they know is just speculating at best. I don't think any of us know. Yeah. And I don't think we know even how much the social distancing is ultimately going to be helpful. I think they're just now starting to see the numbers in New York metro area. They're still increasing, but I guess the rate of increase over the last three, four days has started to trinkle off a little bit. So that Same in California. So that's yeah. a good sign. That means, okay, well, this social distancing is helping. Yeah, they're all coming to Florida. Now, <laughs> borders up because people from New Jersey, Connecticut, and hey, 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 are flying here. <laughs> they close the border. People, people from Louisiana aren't allowed to go into oh. Florida unless they can guarantee that they're going to self-quarantine or right. isolate for 14 so days. Louisiana yeah, was getting people to self-quarantine. I mean, it's the, the, the problem is somebody that's responsible enough to self-quarantine, it only takes someone that isn't. And yes. Yes. we live in a free society. We can't do what they did in China. We can't, like, one we can't surround this city with a military and lock it down. Or at least we're not willing to go. I mean, could we? We could. Yeah. We're, not, we're not willing to go to that link at this point. It would have to be way more uh, deadly than what it currently is. I mean, if we were talking Ebola numbers, Right. Where 90% of the people that catch Ebola die. Yeah. That totally changes the equation. Yes. You know what I mean? That makes a huge, huge difference. But look, uh, we all now know somebody who's died from the coronavirus. Um, Abe's uncle passed yeah. away on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And his situation, and I hope he forgives me, um, but his situation is actually much worse. It's not just his uncle that had it, but three, oh, other, three yeah. other of his family members have been diagnosed yeah. with it. And his father is quite sick right now, too, and they're waiting on the test results as to whether he has it. So right. I, I, It's I, super scary, that area. Kevin's daughter is a nurse in Miami, and, like, we worry about her because she's already dealt with so many cases. And it's like there's a, it's a matter of time probably before she'll actually But the point is she is going to catch it, and the thing is, She's probably going to be fine from it. Right. Right. It's, just, right. it's the unknown. It's the scary. I mean, right. like, I have a neighbor who they're literally they're bleaching. Well, not bleaching, but they're using antiseptic sprays on all the groceries that they're buying, right? Before they bring them to the house. But at the same time, this neighbor has been living off from takeout pizza every <laughs> single day that's being made. By someone touching your food, touching right. your box, touching the soda bottle, and in their head that's safe, 
but the carton of milk they're buying from the grocery store has to be disinfected before it's brought in the house. So there's like a real disconnect about it this. Is. You know? I, I see people spraying themselves yeah. and then they have gloves on and a mask, but it's like, but As you they have, say, but you have to come out. Common. Yeah, but they come yeah. out and it's not just one person, it's the whole family. No, only one of you needed to go to the food I, store. I, I, I said that, you know, I, I, was, I was in Walmart uh, uh, two days ago buying some uh, some Diet Coke and a couple batteries. And then there was, there was a family, a husband and wife, a newborn baby, yeah. you know, six, nine months old, whatever. And then like a little three or five year old girl and they were all shopping at the Walmart. Why? Why did you have to bring the whole family? Yeah. Look, I have, I have a friend who owns a cabinet business. And ever since this began, his business has actually been booming. Because there's a lot of people that are rich enough that they're using this opportunity of being working at home to get home projects done. Mm -hmm. So he's doing a lot of cabinet retrofitting, and his business has been really booming doing these cabinets. And, of course, he got shut down last Friday because, obviously, cabinets are not an essential business. Right. But, you know, what he feels is like, yeah, okay, I understand, but the state-run liquor stores are open. And there's 60, 70, 80, 100 people in our state-run liquor stores all time of the day. So he's having a hard time saying, my business is getting shut down. I can't pay my employees. And they're telling me the reason why is because they want us to socially distance ourselves and to protect the public health. But yet the state-run liquor store that has 100 people in there shopping simultaneously is for some reason an essential business. Right. And that causes a bit of discord. You know, when you look at those two scenarios, you know, and so it's it's a there's so many components to this. Yeah, it's crazy. I just had to put my 24 employees on furlough for two weeks, which is really generous of my company to pay them for the two weeks. But they're saying after that, you'll probably have to go on unemployment because we don't know when we're going to reopen. But yep. me and my assistant manager, since we're salary, we are still working taking in donations that because everybody's cleaning out their houses so we're exposed to it every single day and people are like don't touch my stuff but here you go yeah, like, yeah. Don't, don't donate your shit then like if you're afraid that you're gonna catch something for me you're giving me your shit for right. your house that you just cleaned out so it's, yeah. it's absolutely insane people are like panicking and freaking out and like literally driving by opening their door and throwing stuff at us like <laughs> It's it, it's insane, and it's me and one other person, and we're like trying to lug all this. Here, here's the issue: <laughs> so you stupid. say you say it's insane, but <laughs> how do you how do you have that conversation with Abe Dababda right now? Who no, just I, I absolutely uncle? agree. You I, know I, what I mean? My, kid, my son has <laughs> it's, a tough, it's a tough scenario. Well, I had yeah. to send my kids to my parents because uh, my son has medical issues, and he I cannot mean Kevin cannot be going to work every day coming home and exposing him he's already since birth has had 15 surgeries he gets pneumonia at least twice a year there is no way that this was an easy decision but at the end of the day we have so many bills to pay right you know? so we have and you won't know for two work. weeks if you get it right yeah. right so i had to send my small children to go stay with my parents who self-quarantined and were willing to do this and do the schooling with them and it's been like it's just been a, it's just been huge for a lot of people so i don't dismiss like anything that's going I on think, just, i think there's very few people in this country that haven't been impacted in some way or another right, right, yeah. absolutely and i and i and i don't and i think and i think that april's going to be the worst of the months yeah right yeah everybody's saying i don't i think april's going to be really a bummer i really do 
Yeah. And I, and I even know for me too, like when we make calls on the ambulance for people and it's just trying to educate them, like, I know you have back pain, but it's chronic pain. This is the time, like, this isn't the time to just go to the ER just because you're not feeling good. Like this, you need like stay at home, man. It's just, these right. it's, people don't understand it. They're just like, it's, I think so, so many people are sitting at home and they're just thinking like, again, like I was saying earlier, I think people aren't taking it serious enough. But at the same time, look, I am not a hypochondriac in any way whatsoever, but I also like, wow, that was a little bit of a dry cough. What's going on there? Oh, (laughs) I'm feeling a little warm. What's going on there? I find myself being a little bit oversensitive more than I ever would have ever before. I got this weird thing going on with my right hand now where it's, it's just arthritis there's like this weird little tingle thing going on. I'm not sure what that's about. You know what it's I mean? It's everything now. It, it's it's the Rona. It's the you got the Rona. We're all a little hyper focused, you know. And uh, of course, of course. But I think it's just important to not panic. Like you can't control the situation. Well, here's my thing. I don't think that it makes a difference. I think in the end. Right. Yeah, we're all regretfully. Most of us are going to end up getting this in one form or another. Yeah. Well, and how many of us at the beginning of the cold and flu season? I mean, I had a cold and it started with a cough and I never had the fever, but had a cough and different things like that. And I've talked to people that are like, oh, I had a little bit of a fever and a cough and I was fine and I got over it. And now they look back and they go, well, maybe I had it. And did I and all that? So there are people that will realize now or looking back going, well, actually, did I have it? Even though I didn't have all the symptoms, and that's that's the domino effect. And I think what we're going to see is, I think yeah. that as we do more testing, we're going to obviously see the numbers explode, and I think we're going to see the mortality number decrease. I think right now we're sitting at like a one point eight five percent. I think at the end, looking at the way it's trending, the mortality rate's probably going to be less than a half a percent, three quarters yep. of a percent. But yep. that's that's me just reading what the what the doctors are saying looking at the trend lines i I don't know that for a fact it just looks like where it's gonna go and you know what happens when it mutates and what happens and chances are what's currently a pandemic is going to become an endemic style of virus where it's going to have recurrences every year from now until forever yeah I i mean we stamped out things like tuberculosis and yet even here we are tuberculosis is now making a comeback because people don't get tuberculosis vaccines the way we did when we were i mean kids my age we all got the tuberculosis vaccine remember the the scar you used to have on your arm your parents had it i had it now mine's faded because i've gotten so fat but i mean um but i mean they don't they don't vaccinate for tuberculosis they haven't for many many years and you now start to see Mm -hmm. it coming back a little bit yeah well, well, and if one percent of America got it, kind of angry me too. Though, oh, go ahead, Diggins. You, you got the anti-vaxxers out there. The, all the anti-vaxxers. Oh. My grandfather had polio, so I'm not that far removed from all of these things that people are creating vaccines for. So all the people that are the anti-vaxxers, they really frustrate me because I yep. see that they're going to all of these other diseases and. and you know, but here, but here's the line. I'm going to take the anti-vaxxer point of view on this one, even though I'm not one. Uh, you look at something like tuberculosis or polio; it's so rare, it very rarely happens. And when you take these vaccines, there's a certain segment of the population, albeit small, that actually ends up getting quite sick from the vaccine. It's not like the vaccines are yeah. are bulletproof, and right. that's and so they're making the decision of well, the the rate of getting polio today is X, right. but the rate of getting the polio vaccine and having complications is actually higher 
than what the polio causes. Of course, though, the less people that take vaccines, then ultimately the polio numbers are going to go shoot up and way past, and you're going to have that same situation. Right. It's, I remember getting chicken pox and like my sister and then so my brother got it and neighborhood kids had to come over because everyone had to get the chicken pox. Yep. So I got I thrown had, in the bathtub with my brother. As a kid, a it was annoying, but it wasn't deadly. As an adult, right. it was a problem. But then as yeah. a vaccine, as when my oldest son, when I first had him, they gave him a vaccine and it was like to, you know, obviously you're not supposed to get the chicken pox, but he did. He ended up getting them at like six months old he was covered in chicken pox and it was supposed to basically give you chicken pox without getting them so you're become immune to it and, and you it, become immune to it no mm -hmm. it, it's it's just you know you, you take a chance with no matter what you do in any but i think that look and part of the problem that you have in this current scenario is we have to understand that the bulk of the people that are delivering us the information they're benefiting from the sensationalism in it Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. They're, they're doing the best ratings they've ever done. They're doing great ad revenue numbers. So the people telling us the story actually get rewarded the more they get us to watch. And the reason they we watch more is because they sensationalize it and they give us all the worst case stories. I mean, on CNN, I saw Stephen King commenting yesterday on the coronavirus. What I'm going to bring in the United States' most preeminent horror writer, and he's going to be the guy that's going to tell me about the coronavirus. <laughs> I already know where this is going. I don't even need to hear what he's going to say. Yeah, you know no what I mean? Way. So I mean, why why is he on television talking about coronavirus? Yeah, um, a year and a half that talks yeah. about it. Yeah, and then the people, he, and then the people that are far from us either. Yeah, and like, the people, and the people that end up making the decisions that affect all of us. Well, guess what? They all have very secure jobs that are going to get their salaries regardless of what's going on or not going on. Yeah. Right. But what's going to end up happening is all of these government positions and state employees, nobody is collecting tax revenues the way that they would have collected tax revenues. Yes. And there's going to be some tremendous budget shortfalls when we get into 2021 for a lot of these government uh, institutions and that's gonna I don't even know how that bailout's gonna work I don't know where that money's gonna come from I, I don't I don't think that the Federal Reserve printing an extra five trillion dollars is going to be the stop of this I think they're gonna need a lot more money to float us through this scenario and that's why you know the economic part of this is a real part of it and needs to be taken into consideration I don't I just mm -hmm. like I said I'm glad I'm not in any of their positions because right, it's yeah. very hard to come up with something that is a hundred percent right. Right. And I think you're making decisions based on, I mean, I mean, look at where we are now. I mean, Trump was a xenophobe when he closed down China two months ago, the travel. And now it turns out it was probably a very, very smart decision to have yeah. done. That. But at the time when he did it, everybody was saying the guy was a racist, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, just the same way as Cuomo saying, mm, you know what, maybe shutting down the public schools the way we did it wasn't the best way of going about this. It may have actually caused more problems than we thought. Right. And I think, and I think we're going to learn things as we go along. And yeah, it's very easy to question somebody's decisions in hindsight when you have so much more data at currently than they had at the point that they had to make the decision. Right. I think there's going to be a lot of bad decisions that we're going to ultimately look at and say, wow, I wish we hadn't done that. I don't think you can hold people's feet to the fire on something like this. I, I really I don't, don't. I don't think they should be 
be, but people are going to, but I don't think they should, because this is a learning experience for every single human being. Like, this is not something yep. that we're like, yeah, we know how to handle this. This is all, everybody's doing this together. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not just one person saying, okay, this is like, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. Nobody's supposed to do and it. And you're always going to have idiots that are going to go to spring break. Oh yeah, we not, yeah. I saw some article in the UK. They busted up some guy that was hosting an orgy, and they had like seventy people, and they had to bust up the orgy. I mean, what the fuck are you doing in an orgy? For right now? You know what I mean? I, I mean, so I mean, so you, you think I saw some other crazy thing about some guy that ate some woman bitter to death. That you know, he came stark raving mad out of his apartment. He'd been self quarantined for thirty years. What was he on? Yeah. <laughs> that's that bath salt okay. stuff. Yeah, I was going to say the yeah. bath salt. That's, that's, that's what it sounded like for me. It was the bath salt story. Yeah, it's exactly it was the definitely story. a Florida yeah. man story. Yeah, sure. de definitely a Florida <laughs> man. All right, so so I, I want to talk about a cigar for a second since um we're on a cigar show. But okay. I, which, which <laughs> been a great, I don't want to do that. Yeah, what no, a novel I, concept, yeah, Kevin. It, it, it's been it's been a great conversation. I, I absolutely love it. Uh Hopefully uh, okay, this is question? this has been a little bit different than everything else. <laughs> Let me ask you this: Have your viewer numbers been dipping tremendously the last half hour? <laughs> no, 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 they, they just they just keep going up because nobody can get enough of Saka. I don't think right. that's true. So um so um uh, you you have I I've heard you on many shows uh, many interviews that that you always blend cigars for your palate and what you yeah. like and then you hope there are people out there that. That enjoy your cigars. Yes. But you you didn't like really the Lancero, and you made the world's best Lancero. Mm -hmm. well, that's, look, first off, that's your personal opinion. Yeah. So. <laughs> what Lancero is that? I'll second that one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I'm not a fan of Lanceros at all. But oh, like, Jesse, but, come but on. You like, but you like Steve's. I am. But uh, I, so, I liked it, but I I don't I, I don't really like any Lancero. Yeah. So, so you, you're also not a fan of the candela, but right. you're blending a candela. But yeah, but that's all part of that whole Muestra series. I mean, the whole point of the Muestra series is to do something that's in some way a challenge, something that I don't normally do, use a material that I don't normally like, make a Vitola that isn't necessarily the one style I'd like. I mean, some of them are fun projects like Naka Tamale where – you're trying to make a an old farm style blend style of cigar and make it palatable to today's consumer that's used to smoking cigars with tobaccos of five, six, seven different origins in them. And here you are saying, I've got to make a cigar and I have one tobacco to use as the filler and I have one tobacco to use as the wrapper and binder. Can you make something worth smoking out of just two tobaccos? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so the Lancero, I look, I don't particularly like Lancero, so it's a perfect Muestra challenge. I, I really dislike Candela. It's a perfect Muestra challenge. I mean, that's I have, what I have a question that's what it's supposed candela, to be about. The the Candela, like Kevin loves Candelas, and I, I say I'm indifferent to them. I, I I really don't even know what a good Candela would There isn't be. one. They all suck. Okay, okay. That that that's like <laughs> I asked Kevin like was that sort of like the it cigar like of our it was, it was it was look it was candela was very popular with the american consumer okay. in the 40s 50s and even leading into the early 60s and in fact candela used to actually be classified as ams which stood for american market selection because so many americans liked it 
Um, and then the more mid-range tones, the Colorado tone cigars were classified as EMS for English market selection because the English tend to prefer those. And then the really dark Maduro heavy cigars were classified as SMS for Spanish market selection because the Spaniards tended to prefer those really heavier style cigars. Okay. So there was a period in American history where Candela was a very popular wrapper with the vast bulk of the population. Um, I don't think Candela was ever really popular with the connoisseur class, though, in America, even back in the day. Um, it's kind of like Connecticut Shade is today. 50% of the cigars smoked in America are Connecticut Shade cigars, but you guys are all online. That What that would mean is it should mean that 50% of the pictures we see people post should be yeah. a Connecticut Shade cigar, and that's right. not the case. You don't see no. a lot of people posting pictures and writing glowing reviews on Instagram and Facebook about this or that Connecticut Shade Cigar when really it should be at least on by the numbers 50% of them. So there's a disconnect between what we see and what actually sells. In the case of Candela, Candela doesn't even sell either. Candela has gone the other way. It's kind of become a geek extreme kind of cigar that the cigar geeks get a little bit of a get a little <laughs> bit of a chubby over because it's different. And you're always looking for something different. But for me, Candela tastes just like it looks. It tastes green. It tastes like mm -hmm. grass. It tastes mm -hmm. like hay. It's yep. got this kind of, it's got this combination of a little bit of like that hay sweetness to it, but it's also got a sourness simultaneously along with that sweetness. And so for me, it's one of my least favorite tobaccos. Now, from a manufacturer's point of view, my life would be so great if American consumers would love Candela because Candela is so cheap to make. I mean, you pull the tobacco out of the field, you hang it in the barn, you turn on the propane burners, and then 72 hours later, I'm pulling down tobacco and it's ready to use. Oh, There's no fermentation. There's no aging yeah. to it. I mean, so it literally goes from field barn into your place. You're ready to go with no extra work where – Connecticut broadly, if I got to futz around with that crop for two damn years, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I end up losing 50% of the weight of that crop just in the fermentation cycle and by the yields coming out of the crop itself and waste. I don't lose yep. any of that in Candela. So from a commercial point of view, Candela would be a dream if it would become popular, but it just isn't. So what's your, what's your biggest challenge have been of, of blending that Candela? It tastes like shit. It tastes like hay. <laughs> okay, okay. Then, because I'm gonna. We we have Nick Malila on in a couple weeks, and um, and I want to ask him a question because I just I don't know if anybody here has smoked the uh, the Grasshopper by Foundation Cigar, and it's a Candela, and I don't know how he did it. I don't think that's a real Candela. I I don't know if it's a, it, it is green, but you know, even seeing pictures of your Candela, Steve, it has like this matte finish, you know, which most Candelas do. Yeah, but stop with that. That was the cigars that were imported to yeah. meet the FDA requirement. Yeah. If I were to make a Candela cigar, I, that wrapper that was featured on those ones to beat the August 2016 yeah. deadline is not going to be the same wrapper. So you okay. can't judge what mine will be based okay. on that picture. Okay. It might be identical, but don't yeah. use that as a okay. Almost, I would probably 100% of the Candelas I've smoked have been this. And I like that bitterness with that, that sweetness. Um, it, it for me, it's great. But Nick came out with a grasshopper, and it has this shiny, waxy finish on it. And I'm telling you, I, I Jessica and I both say it's not a candela. It because, does not because you have any. You can't candela taste it. You cannot bitterness. taste the candela wrapper yeah. 
it, it's got this this like said it's almost like this waxy finish like you literally just pulled it off the hibiscus in my backyard and then just rolled it and it blows my mind how he was able to do that yeah and, and create a candela that has yeah. no no hay no bitterness no sweet i haven't smoked it i haven't even seen one actually in real life so i, I have no opinion at all so yeah. no i just i i think candelas are definitely it's a uh, geek cigar it, it is it's a, for like like i said i'm just indifferent to it because it's like if you offered me one i'll smoke it but it's yeah, okay too i'm so so tired of the whole it's yeah. st patrick's day so therefore we're going to smoke green yeah. cigars yes yeah. Yeah. honestly how many green beers have we all had in our lives and how many oh, times have they yeah. been a great beer you know what i mean <laughs> you're drinking it because it's st patty's day and it's green and that's why you drink yeah. it and you drink enough of it because you're curious if you could piss the same color or green right. so i mean it's really it's it's kind of this weird novelty thing, but nobody's ordering green beer once we get beyond St. Patty's Day. Right. You know what I mean? If it was if that green beer was so good, it would be on the menu all year long, right? <laughs> this is a tchotchke. Yeah, it's 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 just now the only candela that I've smoked that I kind of liked was the one that uh, Skip Martin did for Maggio or for Maggio. What's the name of it, Kevin? For, you know, from Morian, I think is what it. Yeah, from Morian. Um, you know, I found that one, but you know what? In a little way, that's a bit of a cheat because the blend is so strong. Yeah, it's a typical Roma craft blend with a candela wrapper on top of it that it kind of washes over a lot of those candela nuances that I find so unappealing that the tripa helps to surpass it. So it makes that candela more palatable and more pleasing. But I bet I'd enjoy that blend a lot more with a broadleaf wrapper on it. I bet I'd enjoy it a lot more if I had a Nicaragua homegrown. I have to jump in and say the mo the favorite one that I've smoked because I don't like Candela either. But that Swamp Thing, yep. I kind of like it because the KFC does the same thing. It just overpowers the Candela taste, and so to me, I like the way that blend is. Right. I'm with you on that one, Lee Mac. The the Swamp Thing is my favorite Candela. And see, the one that I like isn't even the pure candela either. It's a mixture. It's the uh, Roma Craft Black Irish. It's not even a full candela. See? Yeah. Hello? Just you, Kevin. What yeah. about you, Tim? Do you, are you a fan of candelas? I'm not. I haven't found one that I like yet. Yeah. My uh, my first intro into candela was a barber pole, uh, and it was the Asylum 13 Ogre, and I did not care for it at all. If you understand with all barber poles, it's just a gimmick. Barber pole cigars just look. You can appreciate them from the artisanship point of view of it. Sure. All that fancy striping and whatnot, and I can appreciate that, but it really adds nothing to the smoking experience for the consumer. It's mm -hmm. just it's, look. When I look at those ones that Lito Gomez makes, you know, his La Florida Minicana series. Those are some beautifully constructed cigars. Mm -hmm. It's really I can appreciate the craftsmanship in it. But I don't feel as though all that striping and whatnot actually adds to the smoking experience in any way whatsoever. It just looks pretty. Yeah, it looks pretty. It's unique. It's different. Look, you know, I smoke ten cigars a day, so you know, getting something a little different and unique—that's good to have it in the mix. I understand the purpose behind it, but at the same time, again, all of those things—candelas, lanceros, barber poles. There's such a small segment of actual the marketplace. Yeah. That there's something that you're really they're 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 more gimmick. Well, Candela's not more of a gimmick. Right. It, but it's just it it's so niche that it's beyond niche. 
Does that mean I won't make one? I'm not saying that. <laughs> you know, it's our business. Well, Kevin uh, will definitely yeah. buy one. <laughs> yeah, because because I I, I you know I I've, I'm always after that hunt for that super premium candela, you know. And Skips was really spicy, and that, and that was a uh, a good a good candela. That wasabi was pretty good. Um, like I said, yeah, uh, Adam, uh, Adam Wolf says he really likes. Yeah, the, uh, that uh, that Nick's uh, blew me away with just I don't know how he figured out how to do that. You know, right. I, I can't wait to, to to see what that whole process is. To but, but here's but here's the thing: I see tons of pictures of Nick cigars online. I don't see a lot of pictures of the Grasshopper. Well, I see um, tons of pictures of Skip cigars online. I don't see a lot of pictures of his yeah. Candela online. Well, you know uh, what I mean? with, with Nick's, uh, um, it, it comes in a five pack with uh, with uh, four other cigars, and you can only get that five pack at an event that Nick attends. So I don't know how many of them. Okay, so the distribution on it's extremely limited, though. Oh yeah, because you know Nick lives in you know lives on his farm and he lives in Nicaragua and he's never he's never at events, you know. So so he doesn't do a lot of store events comparatively. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, so it's a uh, it's it's a hard hard cigar for for you to get. So Steve, do you want to talk about the U boat? Sure. Yes, because Jessica and I have that cigar, so uh, I don't know anything about it. U-Boat is uh, a blend that I think I'm done with, but I'm not 100% sure. It's a 7 by 50 It's made at Noxa. Um, it's a Nicaraguan Puro, and um, I, I like the blend a lot. I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do with it yet. I don't even know if the name of it will be U-Boat when it comes out. Um, it's just... Uh, it's just one of those kind of in the middle of kind of projects. And, you know, last year I ended up, uh, I was doing a cigar event for Rockies uh, in Syracuse, New York, and they were doing their annual Christmas dinner, which I, I ended up doing every year with them. And I took it to that dinner as a special cigar, something unique for those guys. And then I've had a couple other events along the way where we have shared some U-boats. Um, but uh, it's just, Right now, it's just kind of a sample that's out there. Not really. I don't really have any major designs on it. Um, I did tell uh, the guys at Rockies, if possible, I would make them a small batch of it for them to sell commercially. Um, but I, I really haven't made any determination beyond that. And I know that you had okay. come up. You came up with the nickname of U-Boat. Just based off of the blend number on your, you know, in your blending sessions, and it was easier for you well, to remember. So, but I do like that name. Well, the thing is, most of my blending codes are very DTT U zero three A, DTT U zero three B, and when you kind of get towards the end of the cycle, and you're making more of them, and you're kind of like turning it over to production to make a thousand of them because you want to see it's one thing when you're making cigars look the first blends i'm making the cigar entirely myself and i come up with what i want the blend to be then what ends up happening is we then give it to the very best pair in the factory to then make legitimate samples out of that are actually cigars that all of us would want to smoke the problem is you can't judge a blend based on what the best pair in the factory does because the best pair in the factory is not going to be the one that's going to be making every cigar every day. Sure. So no. what you really have to do is you have to basically give it to the average pairs 
that are normally there that would normally be making it. And you need to let them make, you know, a thousand, two thousand of them to really kind of get a feel for what this blend is going to be like when the consumer gets it. And also, if you need to make some technical adjustments to the blending techniques, that you can adapt them so that the people who are going to be doing it day in, day out. So once a project gets to that point that I'm ready to do a, a thousand, two thousand cigar sample, I've gotten in the habit of giving it some sort of pet name because it's just easier to keep track of in the factory that this is U-Boat instead of being U-03-X. You know what I mean? Yeah. Particularly when there's a Y, particularly when there's a Z and there's a 4B, it gets very confusing for them. So I just come up with some sort of bullshit unique name to throw on it for them to just so we can keep track of it when we're having a conversation that, yeah, I'm talking about the U-boat. It's yeah, no longer yeah. the coded that I was using. Exactly. Now, Stephen Finley says when they, uh, they send him home from the hospital, his first celebratory cigar will be a Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust stick. Congratulations, Stephen. a unicorn, don't you? Little Miss Amber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Christopher Michael, he'd asked this question earlier. How does Joe Enthusiast sample a pre-release stick? Uh, you can't. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I think Steve. Said, <laughs> I think Steve has said that many times. I don't really understand the question. Um, uh, how how would someone like it hasn't Michael been released yet? Being a, a, a Joe a Joe Blow, how does he get a pre-release? Look, cigar? Some, the way you end up getting it is you end up just running into me. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to give them out of my pocket all the time. So, I mean, it's really, that's the way it happens. It's, uh, or, you know, there's some sort of event and sometimes the event will be based on something. You know, normally in an event, you want to bring something that's a little bit of an extra kicker, you know, particularly for a ticketed event where somebody's made a commitment and they've spent money to be there. You want to give them something, maybe not necessarily better, but at least something a little different for different. them to try. Yeah. be part of the experience it you know it helps make it more interesting so whenever i do events when they're ticketed events dinners or bourbon tastings or whatever i try to always make sure that there's just something a little different in them because a lot of the guys that go out of their way to attend those events they're some of your most loyal customers and they've already smoked everything that you make so you want to give them a little cherry on top for them to get something additional for showing their support for you and paying for an event that they already have four boxes of your cigars at home. They really don't need to come to an event where you're at. Exactly. Brandon Smith asked, what, what, is, what is the AD02? The AD slash O2. Well, let me see if I can find out. <laughs> but yeah, I'm probably your worst nightmare, Steve, because I'm that guy that when I do meet you and you hand me a cigar, I'm going to say, all right, cool. Steve Saka put this cigar in my hand. It will never leave my humidor. Can I have another one to smoke right now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find. I'm not coming up with AD02 and by doing any searches. I mean, it's one of those interim blends that I can tell you this. Whatever it is, it's not important. Um, it's not on my radar screen. So it was something that I made, and I ultimately decided, no, nah, it's not done. It's not worth it. I don't remember. There was an AD one, two, three, and four, and I don't think any of them were worth pursuing. So they all ended up as dead samples. Oh, okay. okay. I am. And uh, uh, Chris Duque, eight oh eight, dirty rat, uh, says you need to come to yeah, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long has he been asking you that? Uh, yeah, a long time. And I was scheduled to go to Hawaii, and I didn't end up going. So 
I mean, look, eventually I'll get there, but it's so difficult because you got to fly all the way to California to then get on another plane to go to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And and you get the luxury of paying $300 to $700 a night for a hotel room. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. kind of like, thanks. You know, it's tough. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not an easy trip. And, I mean, in all of Hawaii, I think I have like four or five stores. You know what I mean? So you're literally – and I can't go to Hawaii by myself and not take my wife – yeah. I mean, that's not going to fly. So going to Hawaii is like a seven to $10,000 trip to basically go sell, you know, $600 worth of cigars. <laughs> yeah. Going to Hawaii is, there's no business reason to go to Hawaii. You go to Hawaii because you want to go to Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. I love to go to Hawaii because I love the Hawaiians, but yeah. I really wish they didn't live in Hawaii. I really wish they lived in Connecticut. <laughs> I would see them every single weekend because the Hawaiians are great. Oh, yeah. They're great, but man, it's a long ass way away. Yeah. So, how did you get from Texas to uh, um, uh, the New England area? What was uh, well, that? I enlisted in the service. I grew up in Texas. I enlisted in the service, and my first active uh, duty station after I got a C school was uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. I was stationed on. Uh, one of my stationed my favorite New England spots in the world is Newport, Rhode Island. It's like literally out of like a book you read. Yeah. You walk there and the landscape is something like, mm -hmm. it's just beautiful there. Just gorgeous. And, uh, you know, we just ended up liking New England. We're just yeah. New England kind of people. That's gorgeous. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I've never, I've never been to uh, Boston as far north as uh, I've been. So, uh, yeah, that's a city know. area though, but like Newport's yeah. beautiful, Bangor and Lincoln, Maine is beautiful. Like, it's just they're just it's just gorgeous. Country. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to go to Maine too. Yeah. yeah, Maine's a beautiful state. I mean, purely that whole along the eastern seaboard is gorgeous, and the southern part of the state. When you start getting up in the northern part of the state, it's actually very flat, there's actually not a whole heck of a lot up there. Really, I wouldn't yeah. have, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. So, I don't. Fun fact. So yeah, fun yeah, fun <laughs> fact. Now, um, uh, you had said um, uh, you're talking to one of the virtual herbs. I think last night, night before, whenever, whenever it was, a couple nights ago, um, we, you know, got on the subject of, you know, like I how how much, and we touched upon it briefly uh, a little bit a couple hours ago. Um, how, how, <laughs> yeah, how, how, how yeah, how far or how much the cigar industry is open now? You know, back when you first started, I mean, there was no such thing as cigar factory tours and um how how guarded um were the cigar blends because i said i, I wasn't in in this industry in, in 95 you know 96 you know were, did, did everybody disclose the blends like they do now or was you know was it really every yeah, but what i would say is that most of the disclosures you're getting aren't even factual so i don't mm. think you're really mm. getting closed now mm. oh really okay um that's always been my thought i mean that's what i thought too I mean, it's look. Obviously, it's way more open because mm -hmm. now it's become part of the marketing apparatus. Oh yeah, and, you know. And before, nobody ever went and visited factories. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I was able to get a jump start on somebody like Ron because when I was interested, I was like, "Wait a minute, you're a white dude. And you're here in Honduras. Why are you here? Yeah. I mean, you actually want to come in here and look at what we do." I mean, it was like such a novel concept to them. And I actually found people to be very open and very welcoming because um, they were just they were just enthralled that anyone actually gave a shit and wanted, <laughs> to, and wanted to know what they were actually doing. Um, 
but yeah, look, it's, look, the world is so much flatter. I mean, just the democratization of information has totally changed the way we as consumers um, look at all products now. And I've always said that, you know, one of the things that's benefiting a company like mine is the amount of information that is available about my products and the number of interviews I've done and the number of things I've written that when someone Googles one of my products, there's a lot of meat on the bone for the customer to research and learn about. That's relatively easy to find where, you know, you Google some of the larger brands and there's really very little information other than it's made by so-and-so and here's a million places you can buy it at this price. But there isn't someone that's actually talking about it in an intimate, informative nature. It very rarely goes. And look, you even see it in the way most companies handle their social media feeds. Um, you know, it's a very top-down advertising approach where they take a beautiful photo of their box with a bottle of whiskey and, you know, some setting and they post that picture, but they're not really giving the consumer any real information about the product. It's essentially, they're just sharing an advertising shot. And the thing is they're missing out on what today's consumers want. Today's consumers do want to be informed. They do want to know mm -hmm. more. And the problem that you have is a lot of these companies, they don't even have the capacity to share more because they don't have someone that can communicate that information in a way that makes any sense because look, they're sales guys, they're out on the road, but they're basically being told what to say, what to parrot. They don't actually understand why something is the way it is. So they're not even in a position where they can have that conversation and not put themselves in a position that is very, very awkward, you know? And, uh, and it's, so it's it's just just the whole way it happens today is so much different than it's ever been before, and that gives and it gives a tremendous advantage because by no stretch of the imagination do I know more than a ton of other people, but what I do know is I know more than most, but I also have the ability to speak English, and I also have the ability to communicate and express ideas in a way that a lot of people that speak English can't even do it. You know what I mean? And so that's a huge advantage for somebody like me. It's a huge advantage for a company like my company. And it definitely makes a difference, particularly given how consumers shop today. And we're all guilty of it. I always tell the same story, but, you know, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I want street tacos. I spent 48 minutes on Yelp and Reddit researching where to buy a $1 crummy taco. I mean, it's crazy, right? And then, I finally decided where I was going to buy my $1 street tacos. I drove 40 minutes to get to the place to buy the $1 street tacos. Now, probably yeah. I probably passed literally 150 other street taco places to go from point A to point B, but that isn't what the one my research told me to go try. You know and you'll I mean? get other people that'll say, no, you should have gone to this one instead. Yep. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know that. People, you know, oh, you sh yeah, you should you should have gone. I got a buddy that, that makes them. You know, you should have called me. I, I, you, you weren't on Yelp either. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but that's what we want. We, we crave the information. I know, uh, like Tim mm -hmm. and Lemac, you know, uh, uh, sometimes it's, I don't know, it shouldn't be hard. I don't know if Lemac and Tim, you find that when you get a cigar and there's no blend information available uh, and, you're oh, trying, yeah. and, you, and you're trying to review that cigar. You know, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I find it hard, and, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be hard. I should just be able to talk about the damn cigar. I mean, how many times do you go to review one and look and go, it's undisclosed? 
I was yeah. a cigar reviewer, I would be very hard pressed to write more than a paragraph or two about any cigar. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I look at these reviews and they're literally hundreds of words long. I mean, it's impossible. They're trying to come up. It's one of the reasons why we have these crazy flavor descriptions because they are trying to make it sound like it's different and unique. And they're trying to provide content for their readers. And if every cigar is, well, this is a peppery one, and this is an earthy one, and this is a mild <laughs> one, and this is a sweet one. You know what I mean? Those reviews get pretty stiff pretty quickly. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, I understand the position that when you're trying to be a media resource, that's why you end up with these crazy flavor descriptions sometimes. It's just for the sheer entertainment factor. And I guarantee you right now, Everybody bags on Charlie Monado for his crazy birthday cake and chip <laughs> descriptions, but guess what? We read his reviews because we know he's going to say something stupid in them every single time, and it's the fact that he's going to write some crazy description that we want to read what that crazy description is, yep. and he's in the business. He's in a media business, and the way his business does well is by the more people that go to his website and read his things, so hey- I, I'm going to argue the guy's smart as a fox by writing those crazy whack descriptions. Yep. You know, he's doing exactly the best interest of his business. But I can tell you right now, mm -hmm. we at the factory level, we don't ever talk about cigars in those terms in any mm -hmm. way whatsoever. You know, we're talking about entirely different criteria that can pretty me. The whole lexicon doesn't be, doesn't go beyond 50 words yeah. honestly, that we use at the factory level. 50 words covers everything, 100%. <laughs> it doesn't exactly make for very interesting copy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey, guys, I hate to do this, but I have got to yeah, get going. I can imagine that. And Bye. take care of some stuff. But it has been a pleasure. Kevin, thanks for the invite. Steve, great talking with you. And uh, Lee, Mac, Ron, everybody. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it, guys. Bye. Bye. Take care, Tim. Take it easy, guys. So, so uh, Steve, maybe you can explain to us, and, I, and I'm not familiar with this term, uh, what a Las Vegas boondoggle is. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think I think you can. Uh, so, so what? What I mean? So, so back in the day, you were part of this Usenet group with uh, um, Steve or uh, uh, Craig Vanderslice, and right. and I didn't know uh, a Skip last night was actually part of that. And Craig had said a uh, Christian Aroa was yeah. part of that. Um, um, how was that back in the day? You know, you guys were just typing on a computer and then all decided to meet up at a place in Vegas, rent you know, a place, and just I get, out. Look, me and a friend of mine, John Chunka, we organized that. And it was basically me doing all the work and John supplying all the money was the way it kind of worked. And uh, so we did a thing for that Usenet group back in – the first one I did, I think, was in 1994 or five. It was actually called the Little Havana Cigar Tour, where I ended up bringing like 18 or 20 guys to Miami, and we did a tour of all those factories, because during the boom, there were a ton of factories on Calle Ocho, and we did the whole Miami thing, go eat at La Caretas, you know, we went to a really seedy strip club in Hialeah called Porky's, I wanted to have the full Cuban experience, you know? Yeah. Don't take him to a nice trip. No, we took him to a really nasty one that was right there. <laughs> yeah. And it was a great it was a great experience. So then we started organizing one and we ended up renting at Caesar's Palace at that time. They had the Sammy Davis Jr. suite and they had left it exactly the same as when he lived in it. 
while he was a show while he was uh showcasing at the at sierra's palace and it was so gaudy it was all just this gold and mirrors i mean it was just it was that 60s cheese factor to the nth and it was perfect and we had about 75 people and then we did one the next year we had about 150 people and then we did a third year we had like 350 people and it was after i had, we had done the third one the first one it was like out of the 75 people that came, I knew personally like 30 of them, and I knew like the other 40 from online. It was the first time I met them in person, but you had a relationship. By the time we got to 350 people, we were like doing a lot of work and spending a lot of money, and a lot of people were having a great time, and we didn't know who any of these people were. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's when we got to the end of the third one, I was just like, John, I just don't want to do this again. I mean, it's it's a lot of work to put together because that event was a three-day event. It had poker tournaments. I remember the last year I had like eight rental big Greyhound buses. We did a strip club crawl where we went <laughs> to all the strip clubs in Vegas. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, we had all sorts. We had poker tournaments. We had slot tournaments. We had dinners. We had, we had a whole bunch of events that encircled it. Plus, we also had a common suite where everyone would go and cigars and food and booze. It was a great time, but in the end it was like why are we doing all this work and we're losing money to entertain 200 plus people that we don't even know who these people are right yeah and that was kind of what put the stop to it yeah, yeah. It, just, it just didn't make any sense to keep going through it how did you come up with the name though yeah because it was a boondoggle <laughs> <laughs> i mean there was certainly no fiscal reason to do the damn thing and the amount of work that was involved to make it happen. And uh, I mean, let me say this, you load up buses full of people and you take them to strip clubs and you try to get them to leave that strip club and go to the next strip club. That's the definition of a boondog. Okay, yeah. Alcohol's involved. Oh yeah. It was awful. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. Craig had said he just remembers at one point you you standing in the middle of the room throwing five packs of cigars. Oh, you know, crazy! <laughs> it was so crazy, and I mean, and you know, it's just I can't even explain. It was you know I see these events that people do now, and honestly, there's never been one done as nice as those boondoggles. They were really spectacular events. I mean, they, yeah. they really Great to really, learn about them now that they don't exist. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is, and honestly, on a per head basis, they probably cost us about 500 bucks a head to do those events. Wow. And that's crazy. And we were charging people like 200 less than what it really cost for them to be there. Right. Yeah. It's, I think it's most just, people would pay, pay a thousand for an experience like that. Well, they, they would now, you know, like I said, yeah. back then, you know, Granted, that was the nineties. Yeah. That, that was the nineties. Is that, that was the, the, the hard, you know, the height of the star boom. That was before the internet real. I mean, before the internet, as we know it today, right. obviously it's how, you know, Steve met these, you know, these people and right. that's um, how I met these freaks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you still stay uh, connected with um, 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 a few of them? But the ones are that I stay connected with are the ones that have remained socially active. Yeah. Uh, currently, I mean, the thing with all those types of groups is they eventually always devolve. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing too is as individuals, we only have the capacity to have so many friends and you hit a certain number of people 
and then you really can't be friendly with everybody. Well, let me take it back. You can be friendly with everybody, but you can't be friends with everybody. It's just not physically possible. And I mean, and for most people in real life, it's very hard to have more than four or five real friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't even think you would want that many friends. And, yeah. and you know, and, and, and even in these social groups, most people, they kind of have their group of, you know, the original 25 or 40 people. And oftentimes it isn't that those were the original 30 people in the group. It's oftentimes the group that you came in with together is yeah. kind of where your bigger circle of friends becomes. And then what ultimately ends up happening is as the group grows, there ends up becoming all these different cliques of friends. And then mm -hmm. eventually it ends up into being one of these ugly social media civil war scenarios. And then the drama gets to the point that you say, fuck it, I don't even want to be involved with this crap anymore. And that's the same thing that happened with ASC. You know, eventually you get to a point like, it's just not worth the drama. You know, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to be enjoying it. And I actually find myself constantly in a troll war with this idiot. Right? Yeah. Or that guy's just constantly needling you for whatever reason because he's a douchebag. High school, <laughs> all you know? over again. And so it's very rare that you see these groups ultimately be sustainable yeah they all they all tend to have an apex and they all tend to shrink yeah i agree oh exactly so uh um listen guys it's uh it's been two and a half hours um jessica and i yeah yeah we have to go to work in the morning so um, <laughs> Kevin needs to go to bed. Yeah, because so uh, he has a routine. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I definitely want to. Uh, I definitely appreciate everybody coming on tonight. Um, uh, Ron uh, Diggins, uh, Lee Mack. It's been. It's always a great uh, to see you, Steve. You know, it's always a pleasure. To, hey, you guys can always to, to, jump into another herf. <laughs> oh, you, you you know you know there's a, a dozen herf. You guys right now, yeah. if you open up your phones, you you all have ten thousand. Yes. It, invites yeah steve's yeah. gonna accidentally fall into one yeah it, it, scrolling through all his okay I, yeah, I, my, i'm gonna do one for abe sometime this week i know that in one of yeah. his virtual ones and then i'm doing something maybe you guys know who they are i promised um let me see if i can find them uh it was some girls that ronnie put me in touch with that wanted me to be on their thing it's the, the, uh, the smoking chicks the smoking chicks are is that i know one of them's name is erica and it's something like lounge experience on instagram oh, oh erica arroyo oh, oh she amazing she's amazing she you will love her she is serious like she knows so much about like cigars and stuff it's she's she's a really great person yeah i think she, she has probably uh i think the most yeah. popular live show yeah, um, she, um out there and yeah. um yeah if you, if you definitely yeah, yeah. definitely if you do her show or anything with her definitely post it i definitely want to uh yeah, um, i love erica great. she is such a great yeah, two o'clock on friday i'm doing something with them yeah. nice. um i guess it goes live on instagram is that the way i understand this yeah, I yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she, she does a lot on instagram and uh yeah you'll you'll definitely have fun she is she is knowledgeable yeah. so it's uh it's no, uh she's, it, she, she's a, a great a sweet Hard. What's the uh, what? What's her uh, her name on Instagram? I, I, I believe it. you can. I believe it's either the the cigar lounge experience, but it's also Erica E R I C A Arroyo A R Y O Y O. Um, and uh, she's uh, um, yeah, she's. I mean, she's fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So my connection kept freezing up most of the time, but Steve, <laughs> you answered, I think, most of the questions that I already had, you know, between tonight and then last night and the heart that we were in. Right and then just seeing all the other oh, it videos hurt. that you've done. Sorry, Sorry. Yeah. Ahead, hey, Mac, her Instagram is um, E-R-R-I-C-A-N. Erican. Erican. All right. Of course, of course, my Instagram is uh, freezing up. Say that one more time. It is E R R I C A N. Okay, gotcha. Air can. Yeah, air yeah, can. So cool. Cool. So, all right, everybody. We definitely appreciate everybody yeah. coming on. Steve, as, uh, as always, uh, it's always been a, a pleasure. And um, uh, we hope. Uh, Steve, next time, next time, just give us your thoughts on uh, what you think happened with the Malaysian air flight. So, okay, yeah, no so, so that, that'll yeah. be next time. I got, I got bullshit opinions on everything, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I want to know what you think about that Malaysian airline that came up. This so, cool. All right, everybody. I appreciate everybody being on, and uh, we thank will uh, dig and stay on, and we'll uh, we'll end the show. So, thank you, everyone. Also, you guys have a great, great night. Thanks. All right, you too. Uh, thank you for having thank me. You. Appreciate it. All right, thanks for having All me, right. too. All right, thank you very much. And then uh, we got uh, so right on. What a what a great show, Diggins! What an absolute yeah, fantastic, I know, man. Fantastic. I was kind of bummed out because it kept kicking me off, and then my my connection kept freezing. I tried to get a better connection by going outside. That helped a little bit, but nah, oh yeah, well. yeah, yeah. I noticed it kept coming off, and then yeah, but you it, might, it might not have helped that we you had so many other people on too. And who yeah, knows because, the way the everybody's on the internet. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, the and, world and, is on the internet, and it, and it kicked me off again tonight. But luckily, I was able to fix yeah, that he, and then yeah, um, and, 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 and bring it back on. So, but um, as soon as Tim left, my connection cleared up. As soon as Tim yeah, popped out, so of the it just oh. might have been too much going on. Yeah, who, who knows? So, um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna end the show uh, once again. Everybody, thank you for being on. And I just want to uh, say again, congratulations to Stephen and yes. obviously Bob for now having another grand grandbaby, especially a girl. It's a special yeah. and what what a like a crazy thing like she's born during like this pandemic like what a crazy like story she'll have like coming into this world and coming early so i'm just glad and coming on her mom and dad's anniversary anniversary yes. too. yeah so it's like it's just really it's just very special and i'm glad that yeah. everyone's doing well so it is it's great I exa love it. exactly so uh we're gonna end we forgot to do the uh, uh the coronacigar.com so, CoronaCigar.com, thank you, uh, Corona Cigar, for uh, for sponsoring uh, uh, this show. 